Tony Schiavone. We're your host for the first hour, as always, of WCW Monday Nitro. But tonight, I will be with you for the second hour as well. We are one day removed from one of the wildest, one of the most unforgettable events in recent memory, maybe in history, the Great American Bash. If you were not with us, what you missed last night in Baltimore. Later in this telecast... Welcome to where the big boys play. Welcome to 20 Years of Nitro, our week-by-week breakdown of World Championship Wrestling's flagship show, where each episode is viewed, reviewed, analyzed, and categorized as we compile an audio anthology of our tour along the southern front of wrestling's Monday Night Wars. I am your host, as always, Tim Root, and with me, as ever, is my broadcast colleague, Dave Amantorp. Dave, how are you doing this week? I'm doing good, and I think today is going to be a very interesting episode, or the next few, uh, because typically WCW, I, I went back to the previous pay-per-views, and on average they have about five and a half weeks between pay-per-views. This is the first time they're going to have only three weeks. Interesting. And so I'm interested, I was interested at the beginning to see if they're just going to be throwing out matches right away or how that's going to work out, but... No, I mean, obviously we're coming off the night after maybe one of the best pay-per-views ever, so you always want to see how they do for a follow-up. And one thing that we noted a lot in our episode covering that pay-per-view, The Great American Bash 1996, is how, uh, for the first time, it really felt like it flowed along with Nitro Mm -hmm. instead of more along with Saturday Night and Main Event and these other shows. Uh, So it'll be interesting to see on tonight's Nitro uh, if we finally, you know, if if the follow-up episode to the pay-per-view uh, is more closely aligned with continuing those storylines. Because often I do feel like after the pay-per-view, the Nitro just kind of continues the Nitro storylines, and the pay-per-view is almost a separate entity. Mm-hmm. So it'll be interesting to see how that's handled on tonight's episode. Yeah, I felt like one of the prime examples was uh, Starcade because Starcade is supposed to be their biggest pay-per-view. Oh, and, yeah. And really the only difference was that they said, oh, the Nature Boy Ric Flair is world champion now. Right. That's all you really need to know. There was no... Uh, reason to, uh, you know, maybe get an encore presentation, for example. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> oh, God. <laughs> well, anyway, tonight is the 40th episode of Nitro, and it is June 17th, 1996, and we are emanating live from the Richmond Coliseum in Richmond, Virginia, in front of 5,638 fans who paid $67,300. Uh, in a dark match before the show, Conan retained his World Championship Wrestling United States Championship against Jim Powers. (laughs) Well, to start the show, Tony Schiavone welcomes us, and he is alongside Larry Zbysko. Tony notes that he will be sticking around with Brain in Hour 2 this week, as Eric Bischoff is still recovering from what Tony calls one of the wildest and most memorable events, perhaps... In all of history. <laughs> I'd just like to point out that he, there's no modifier professional wrestling history. Just yes. in all of history. Right. <laughs> I, You see, I thought like tonight would be a pretty acceptable night to have some hyperbole yeah. when it comes to the previous pay-per-view. But of course, Tony Schiavone just has to stretch it even further. Well, and it's funny because I've been listening a little bit um, here and there to his his podcast, What Happened When?, and he, uh, they just recently did one that's a few months down the line from this, Fall Brawl 96. And he was talking about how his announcing was pretty good at this point because he hadn't yet become a complete chill over the top. He said that was more like 99, 2000. Oh, okay. And then, you know, I listened to that podcast first, and then I was watching this episode of Nitro, 
and he's in full-on shill hyper. <laughs> like, he's off the charts in this episode. Yeah. So uh, I don't quite agree with his assessment of when he kind of turned in that direction. Either that, or he still does turn, and it's even far worse. <laughs> That's, ooh, that is it. Um, uh, I also, ominous possibility. Yeah. <laughs> I just want to make a, a note. I mean, occasionally when I when I watch these nitros, I just kind of like, I have an extra focus on the, the intro, and just how dated... The intro's looking as far as the wrestlers are concerned. Oh, sure. Because it still has Hulk Hogan and a Blonde Sting. Oh, yeah. That's true. Um, and I I had the impression, because they got rid of uh, people like Vader. and It was just Vader. I think Vader's, uh, he was replaced by Lex after the first episode. Yeah. So, I mean, they, it show, they show that they can change it if they want to. Right. And I think they need to make some adjustments to it, because it looks like a, a year old, and a lot's happened in a year in WCW. Oh, that's very true. Tony also promises us that we will see a blatant attack from, quote, you know who they are. (laughs) So we're still getting that kind of thing uh, later in the broadcast. He says it's the worst thing he's ever seen in his life. Larry appreciates uh, bending of the rules and claims to have invented uh, cheating, essentially. Yeah. Uh, But he says that the two unnamed guys didn't impress him just by throwing skinny Bischoff through a table. He tells Hall and Ash that they aren't welcome or wanted in WCW. Tony tells us that tonight we will learn who will represent WCW in the six-man match at Bash at the Beach. He also talks about some of the action we saw on last night's show, including the addition of Mongo to the Four Horsemen. Larry, of course, is in favor of Mongo's actions and kind of confirms a theory we talked about in our last episode uh, that that was uh, Randy Savage's money that was handed to Mongo in the match. They Mm kind of confirm that as being the storyline here tonight. And and when they're talking about determining um, the the outsiders are... Hall and Ash's opponents. Um, they'll mention it a few times before they get to it as the, it'll be a lottery. Yeah. And for one thing, WCW seems to love lotteries. Yes. <laughs> and another thing is, I just, to me personally, it seems like that's not really taking it seriously if they're not, if WCW doesn't decide just to handpick who they think is the best to face them. Yeah, we'll talk a little more about that lottery and how uh, they come up with the names that go into it a little on later in the show. Mm-hmm. Uh, Tony throws to a clip of the attack on Bischoff yesterday uh, right as the restless live crowd in Richmond starts chanting, we want flair. Because the announcers have been talking, I think, at this point for about six minutes, I counted. Yeah, uh, that was the thing that I noted, that, um, that they're going to this live report rather than going to a match first, then doing this. Yeah. And that's... Uh, compiled by the fact that they did get a match, but it was Conan versus Jim Powers. (laughs) And so maybe they're a little bit restless. So we go to a replay of the Hall and Nash segment from last night, but it cuts off right before the table bump. So they're teasing that out so that we'll stick around later to see that. Mm -hmm. Uh, At this point, Harlem Heat's theme and Stevie Ray makes his way to ringside. Stevie Ray and his giant penis come out to the ring with Booker T nowhere in sight. His, his, dick was distractingly huge i've never noticed it before but in the purple he was wearing this time yeah or something, uh it was i i, I noticed I, I was just like i just gotta move on <laughs> <laughs> but um uh, oh a couple of things i want to mention first is that before this match started they did announce that there's going to be a dean malenko ray mysterio jr rematch okay um at this point they didn't say it right away, but later on you'll find out it is for the title. Yes. And also, when they did that, the replay of Bischoff up until the powerbomb, um, the WWF was censored on TV when he said it. Uh, that might be the network, because a lot of the stuff on the network that has the WWF oh. censors it, because at the time they 
hadn't worked out that deal with the World Wildlife Federation. Oh, and they probably were like, we're not going to go back and un-recenter yeah. or whatever. So I think it's okay. more about that. Oh, okay. Because um, yeah, they, they can now say WWF and they can show the old logos and stuff, but stuff that had already been censored for the uh, WWE Classics on Demand service they used to have, mm-hmm. they've just left those already censored versions in intact. Yeah, and, and I thought it was kind of weird anyway because he says WWF on pay-per-view, and if you... I would assume I don't really know if there's much of a difference between pay-per-view and TV and which is mm-hmm. like you can say here but not here. So um but no that makes sense now that you say that. Tony and Larry heavily plug a replay of the pay-per-view that's going on uh, tomorrow night. Longtime wrestling fans will certainly remember uh these replays always were hyped on the Raw or Nitro following a pay-per-view. Like I felt like this was a very common practice. Yeah. You come back and and they don't do it right now but they will later. You show still images from the pay-per-view. You certainly don't show, like, clips. You just show pictures, and you hype that you can watch it again tomorrow night if you missed any of the action. Mm -hmm. I also thought when they were talking about, when Larry Zabisco was talking about Hall and Nash, this is going to be kind of a, maybe more of a common theme that, that especially for Larry Zabisco, he has a hard time with his heel loyalties. Because, like, he he has to be against the, these invading guys. But then, like, um... It just sounds weird because he is basically like all about what Mongo did, mm-hmm. but just thinks that what Hall and Nash did was despicable. And it, I don't think like those lines. I don't think they're so drastically different. Yeah, but right. But it's just it, 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 as these weeks and months go on, you will you will kind of notice that like the heel announcers will kind of have a hard time like playing their role and and towing the company line, if that makes sense. Out comes Rick Steiner to face off against Stevie Ray. Uh, you know, on our last Nitro episode, it started off with Booker T versus Scott Steiner. Mm-hmm. And we were wondering if, you know, that kind of made it clear who was second banana. But I guess they were just planning on following up the next week with the other two guys. Right. As Rick enters, Tony says that later on we'll get the Giant versus Scott Steiner in the main event. Uh, so I guess Rick is the second banana because his brother mm-hmm. is in the main event of the match. Or main event of the night, excuse me. Mm-hmm. And that sounds like a hell of a main event. I'm actually pretty pumped to see that. Uh, a fan trying to f- high-five Rick as he makes his way to the ring ends up with his hat knocked off and his sunglasses in his mouth somehow. <laughs> Stevie starts off with clubbing blows right as the bell rings. He stays in control with punches and clotheslines, followed by a scoop slam and an elbow for two. Rick reverses an Irish whip into the corner, but Stevie takes him down with a shoulder block. Stevie so far has had all of the offense, but who cares as Rick pops up and hits a belly-to-belly as if just nothing has affected him. Oh, Rick Steiner. Rick hits a standing elbow to Stevie's face and gets a top-rope bulldog for two. Rick runs at Stevie Ray, but Ray gets a power slam and heads to the second rope. He comes down with a punch, I guess? He just kind of ends up flat on his belly, and his hand was sort of going at Rick's head. Like he was going for a second rope flying punch. It was very strange. But the dog-faced gremlin moves and nails Stevie with a clothesline uh, for a three-count. That's it. <laughs> it's a it's a clothesline finish. Yeah. This match was uh, about like two and a half minutes long. It was bad. Yep. Uh, Stevie got almost all the offense. The only the only thing that was good in this entire match, I would say, is the top row bulldog. Yep. There's really nothing to <laughs> nothing to note here except like, um, you know, on last week's Nitro, I. Like I said, mentioned that Booker T and Scott Steiner were the the talent of both their respective teams. Oh, yeah. And we got further proof of that tonight. (laughs) 
We get even more proof after the match when Booker T appears from nowhere with a huge kick to Rick, which was better than anything other than the top rope bulldog, which right. was, was pretty good. He and Stevie then double-team Rick, including a powerbomb from Stevie, before Booker heads up to the top rope for a Harlem hangover. Scott Steiner appears before Booker leaps and shields his prone brother, so instead Booker comes off the top with a knee to Scott's back, which Scott sells like complete death. Right. It's you kind you'll find out later why he sells it like it hurts so much, but it's it's a lame top rope move. There's no way it shouldn't be sold that much. Yeah, and um this is all preceded by some very inept double teaming by Stevie Ray. Yeah. After he hits that power bomb, he is standing just in Booker T's way. Yeah. And Booker <laughs> T stands there and then Stevie Ray not knowing what to do, kind of puts on like a Boston crab, but he just like grabs uh, Rick Steiner's ankles and just holds them. It's just, you know, I, I, we've seen it before when they're when they're mm-hmm. a team that like Booker T often has to get Stevie Ray in the right place, and now it's like when he's by himself, this just does not seem like a good idea. <laughs> One kind of notable thing is uh, during the replays and after the match, you get the Steiner's music, whereas I know nowadays, since it was Harlem Heat that was standing tall, mm-hmm. their music would have you know. Kind of cut out the Steiner's music at the end there. Once yeah. they, they had that attack. Yeah, because they got the they got the moral victory. As we go to commercial, we get one of the little pre-commercial promos where the American males tell us that later on in the show they're going to be taking on Arn Anderson and Chris Benoit. Oh, good luck to good luck on that. <laughs> when we come back from commercial, it's time for a disco inferno as the announcers hype the upcoming reveal of the WCW participants in the match uh, coming up at Daytona Beach. Tony says that last night they got a phone call, but he's cut off by Disco Inferno, who has a mic. Disco says he knows that everyone came to see him dance, and a furious Tony Schiavone yells, Wrong again! (laughs) He's so mad. (laughs) Disco pulls the crowd to see if they want to see him dance, and there's not much reaction, to be honest. He tells the truck to hit his music, but instead Joe Gomez's slow country jam plays as the Desperado comes to the ring. (laughs) Right. Joe Gomez is wrestling here under his birth name. Uh, he His real name is indeed Joe Gomez. He is only 23 years old, but he's been wrestling since he was about 17, uh, starting out in the Southeastern Territories, uh, mainly in Florida. He's had a previous stint in WCW from 1990 through 1991 as Alan Iron Eagle, which uh, <laughs> I assume is some kind of Native American gimmick. Yeah. He looks like he could maybe kind of pass, especially for early 90s wrestling. So. In early 90s wrestling, he could pass for like... Half of the, <laughs> yeah. the non-Caucasian. Uh, he appeared mostly in tag contests. Since his release, he has been on the indie scene and in Japan working for the deathmatch-centric IWA Japan. Since his return, he almost faced Flair and Arn several weeks ago uh, until that sort of assault in the back led to that not happening. Uh, and he's lost on several house shows to VK Wall Street. Oh, boy. Yeah. And, and d- don't forget that attack by Arn Anderson and Ric Flair, they were rewarded with a tag title shot. <laughs> Just remember that that the heel, heel works pays off. He's uh, So what do you think of Joe Gomez? Going, he's got a good look. He's he's tall. He's got long brown hair. He's relatively handsome, I'd say. He's got like the long black pants with sort of, I don't know what you'd call them, like silver uh, circles down the side that are, are like a cowboy thing. I don't know what the fuck you call those things, though. Yeah. No, I, I said that Joe Gomez, if you're not, like, seeing him, kind of picture him with, like, a Bo Dallas type of physique where he's, he's not necessarily out of shape, but he looks like he could easily become out of shape. I would say, uh, I can see what you're saying, I'd say a 
better comparison would be Baron Corbin. Yeah. Where, like, he's just, like, a few months away from being, like, pretty flabby. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. No, I mean, I think that they're all three of those are in kind of that same category where it's like, yeah, you can tell that they've they've gone into pretty good shape. The only reason I go with Baron Corbin is he that's the right height too. Yeah. Like he's a tall guy like that, only he's not embarrassingly balding. <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> Before Disco and Gomez start off, Tony finishes his story about the call that WCW received yesterday, which was apparently Hulk Hogan saying that he wanted his name added to the hat of potential defenders of WCW against Hall and Nash. Tony says that they've received several telegrams from promoters in Germany and Japan, and all eyes in the wrestling world are on Bash at the Beach on July 7th. <laughs> it's 1996. They're still they're getting telegrams from... <laughs> Dear WCW, stop. This is Antonio Inoki. Stop. I hope you beat those guys. Stop. <laughs> Love New Japan Pro Wrestling. Stop. <laughs> Also, we didn't, we haven't mentioned it yet, but they, it's been mentioned a few times, especially by Tony. Um, the the arena or the announcers table is on high alert. Yeah, they keep talking about the security. Um, yeah, which which to me as a viewer would suggest it's like that means they're gonna show up at some point. Oh yeah, yeah. for sure. All right, well here to call all the action of Joe Gomez versus the Disco Inferno is our own Dave Amontorp. Okay, so we begin with a collar and elbow tie-up that turns into an arm drag by Disco Inferno. And any sort of heelish antics or dancing that he does as a result of this like victorious move is completely missed because the camera just focuses on Joe Gomez, who yeah. doesn't look interested. So <laughs> yeah. it, it, right away we get like a very poor selection in, in the ca uh, camera angle. Uh, another, collar and another collar and elbow tie-up, and Disco gets a hip toss. As he dances again, Tony tells us how upset Joe Gomez is in Mongo's betrayal of Kevin Green because he's a Bears fan. This this cracked me up because the announcers always want to talk about anything other than the match happening in front of him. Mm -hmm. But the fact that he found a weird way to kind of tie it in. Yeah. Like he wanted to talk about Mongo. So he talked about how how like betrayed Joe Gomez felt by yeah. Mongo. We've never seen Joe Gomez before, right. <laughs> at least not wrestling. Yeah. Who gives a shit how he feels about anything? Right. And the thing is, this is like probably the lamest uh, way that we're actually going to start building for a match. Yeah. Oh, yeah. <laughs> oh, a Joe Gomez Mongo match? Yeah. Oh, God. We, I didn't even we, think of that. Yeah, we will be treated to that at our very next pay-per-view. Oh, on pay-per-view? Mm -hmm. Yikes. <laughs> Um, after we get that kind of back and forth, uh, Gomez is now a house of fire, hitting an atomic drop and hip tosses onto the Disco Inferno, while Larry Zabisco refers to last night's Halliburton briefcase as a satchel. Hmm. What? I think of satchel more as like a leather bag. Yeah, not like a metal briefcase. <laughs> Larry, he's like a Dennis Miller where he makes a lot of obscure references and sounds smart. Mm -hmm. But a lot of the shit he says doesn't make any sense. Like, it's stupid. You know, I now I want to think about that because I think the Reggie Miller comparison is really good. <laughs> Dennis Miller. Although a Reggie Miller. I thought you said, I thought you said oh, Reggie I might have, Miller. I, might <laughs> <laughs> I was trying for Dennis Miller, but I, I, I like a comparison to Reggie Miller even yeah, more. I mean. Or Steve Miller from the Steve Miller band. Miller Coors. <laughs> Miller's Crossing. <laughs> 
Larry Zbysko is like the commentator, like the Miller's Crossing of commentators. <laughs> Great obscure references. Oh, <laughs> uh, okay. Um, uh, so we had Gomez as a house of fire, and he drop kicks Disco Inferno, and Disco Inferno powers just the outside, where he worries about the status of his hair and threatens fisticuffs with David Penzer. Yeah, yeah, he's like, he wants Penzer to come defend him because his hair got messed up, and when Penzer's just like sits there blank faced, because what's he gonna do? Uh, Disco gets really mad at him for not like coming and helping with his hair situation. Mm-hmm. And by the way, if you end up watching this show, you need to watch just for the lack of reaction from David Penzer. Yeah. He, he looks like he doesn't look like he doesn't know what to do. It looks like he just does not want a part of this. <laughs> He's sort of half smiling in this way of just like, I understand that this is happening. Right. I do not wish to be a part of it. <laughs> this is my I so I should react by holding my hands up and please stop doing what you're doing. <laughs> Uh, Gomez joins him on the outside for some punches, but Disco gets the advantage back inside the squared circle where an Irish whip and uh, Joe Gomez barely hurdles Disco before hitting a drop kick. Oh, yeah. That was that leapfrog is close shave. Yes. Yeah. And that was one of those like one legged leapfrogs with other ones pretty stationary. And the drop kick is terrible, too. Yeah. Uh, and of course, Larry immediately says it got him right in the face. And it's right. like, no, we could all like. You picked the worst dropkick to say that about. <laughs> right. Disco Inferno is reeling, and as Joe Gomez comes off the ropes for a crossbody block, but Disco moves, and jo- Gomez hits the top rope. At this point, Disco Inferno, he gets a look at the, at the, at the camera, and he looks pissed off, <laughs> which is it's just kind of weird to see Disco not being happy. Right. Do you think it's because this guy he's in the ring with sucks? <laughs> he's. Why can't he be back at the room? back fixing his hair at this point <laughs> which by the way he checks his hair a lot in this match yeah and his hair is immaculate the whole every time, time. it always <laughs> looks great after a few forearms disco whips gomez into the ropes and drops him with an open heart open palmed uppercut then some more dancing after ramming gomez's face into the turnbuckle disco chokes him on the middle ropes before asking the cameraman how his hair looks I believe this is around the time when Tony, I don't know the exact context, but Tony calls him the Disco Inferno Man, <laughs> which is uh, no, a slight, I that. <laughs> slight twist on the character <laughs> that I've never heard before. I like it because it just somewhat suggests that you don't know what this person is. <laughs> I mean, you're close, <laughs> but not quite. <laughs> Disco Inferno sends Joe Gomez to the opposite corner, but his follow-up attacks are countered by boots to the face. Gomez orders up a few knuckle sandwiches before whipping Disco repeatedly into the turnbuckles, and one more knuckle sandwich drops him. An Irish whip is countered by Disco hitting a nice swinging neckbreaker, yeah. which is not only one of his more like featured moves, but is probably the moves he he does the best. Doesn't it? I I you know because I don't know a lot about WCW except for what we've already covered. Mm-hmm. Uh, doesn't that become his finisher though? It it does briefly, and but you can't really tell because I think that's when he's like l- losing a lot. Oh, okay, so sure. He never hits it. Gotcha. And this gets a nice reaction from the crowd, so the I, I think the crowd's ready for some good wrestling. <laughs> <laughs> but instead of pinning Joe Gomez, Disco dances, which uh, both commentators agree is a critical mistake. Disco lays on top of Gomez before an, for a nonchalant cover, which is countered by a crucifix pin, which is not a submission hold, Conan. <laughs> <laughs> for the three count. And now what what 
this is kind of a moment that a lot of the people at the time admonished. Disco Inferno doesn't couldn't care less if he lost. And yeah. in fact, he acts like that he won and not in like the heelish way, but more like I'm just trying to get my my character over sort right. of way. Um, and Disco Inferno informs the, cor- the cameraman he doesn't care if he lost because his hair is still in place and he's still the best dancer in WCW. Yeah, here's my thoughts on that. And and I guess they're changed a little bit by the knowledge that you just gave me that Joe Gomez is on this pay-per-view. Because mm-hmm. the way I felt is that this was a um what's the word an enhancement match but that disco inferno is a unique character in that he is enhanced by losing so that even though joe gomez wins this is not a match that is in any way intended to get joe gomez over it's intended to get disco inferno over because that's what it does Mm. even there's a big pop for the pin but Mm. it is because people want to see disco lose not because they want to see joe gomez win so I, I felt like this was really successful, and, and normally I would I would not like a character that doesn't care about wins and losses, but mm-hmm. it is unique to Disco, so I like it. But to hear that Joe Gomez is on paper, that just kind of throws a wrench in my whole philosophy on it. Yeah, I I mean, I really have to think about a wrestler from like the Monday Night Raw era going forward that was more more, more effective at losing than Disco Inferno. It does I mean, like... I even think that it would be a disadvantage if he wins matches. Cause sure. Because he, because his whole character is about the fact that like he he's not very effective. He, like he's he has the potential to be a good wrestler, but he's so concerned about like other things like his hair and dancing that you can't like qu- quite pull it off. Then I then I guess what my thought comes down to. Joe Gomez should have gone some over some other shitty heel. It yeah. shouldn't have been somebody who can bounce back from a loss and make the audience care about them and like them mm-hmm. or or not like them, whatever, you know, um, getting over however it needs to for the character. Uh, he should have, just to use an example that you talked about with uh, Conan, It should why not go over Kurosawa? Yeah. You know, why yep. not go over El Gato? He's, he's already <laughs> jobbed, like that character's done, yeah. you know? <laughs> why not El Gato? <laughs> why not? After a commercial, we come back and Mean Gene is in the locker room with Ric Flair, Miss Elizabeth, Woman, and Deborah McMichael. We are back with more WCW Monday Nitro here on TNT. I feel a little uncomfortable. i got to be very candid with you, Ric Flair. After all that has transpired in the last 24 hours, Elizabeth, please, woman, don't get involved here. And you, Deborah McMichaels, I have never been disappointed in any one person like I have been disappointed in you last night at the Great American Bank. What made you do that? I had to do it. Well, for one thing, it was great company, and for the money. I hate to say it again, it was for the money. Greed rares its ugly head, and I'll tell you what, the recently reinstated Macho Man Randy Savage, we saw him last night. You saw him. You got a real good look at him. Look at the monitor, Gene. Look at what the world's looking at. It looks like a Vogue cover. That's what's going on. It's Deborah. Woo! It's woman, old woman, won't you marry me now? And it's Liz. And Macho Man, Mongo, now, with that 10-carat diamond Super Bowl ring, goes like this. We're reunited, brother. Woo! And it feels oh so good. Kevin Green lays in a hospital bed in Charlotte. Front page. I'm not going to tell the story. It was big. But now tonight... Macho's reinstated. 
He wants his money back. Yes. Quality of life. Yes. Most of all, he wants. I told you before, Flair. Elizabeth back. She's not going to cross that line again. Macho right here. Nitro, firsthand. You're going to find out why I'm on top of the world. <laughs> All right, that's going to be about a half hour. I'm the nature boy. Macho, you're mad, you're sick. But tonight, <laughs> you're going to get hurt and hurt bad. You know why? Wow. Because I'm going to style and profile. Wow. Geez, look at the girls. Yeah, Not an excitement. Richmond, Virginia. Next week, we're coming to Charlotte. Woo! Bright lights, big cities. Tonight, Macho, <laughs> you go down. I don't know. I have talked Woo! to the Macho Man, Randy Savage. You know, this guy's a little loony. You they know all that. think I'm afraid of him. You know, they're all saying when Macho Man gets a hold of Flair, he's going to tear him up. Not going to happen. I'm standing on my ground, Macho. Thank you. Tonight, Thank you. Thank you. We are all out of Woo! time, Deborah. I can't believe it. Right now, let's get you back Woo! to more action. Now, this is so clearly a set of a locker room. Well, maybe not a set. It might be a real locker room. But they've they've hung a Hulkamania t-shirt and like a WCW towel from the lockers. Yeah. So it does not look like a locker room that Ric Flair would be hanging out in. It right. makes no sense. Mm -hmm. Gene tries to focus on the task at hand, but woman is just manhandling him. She's just like rubbing her hands. She does this a lot. She grabs his ass during interviews, yeah. rubs his chest, and just kind of sees if she can distract Gene. It's pre it's always pretty funny. Yeah, I mean, this, this one's more obvious because she's like right in the foreground and... And, like you see those two like their interactions like the most prominent thing right and i that's when i was like wow i didn't realize to what extent this typically was <laughs> gene says that he's never been as disappointed in someone as he was last night at deborah mcmichael she says that she joined great company but it was ultimately for the money and she laughs she's pretty much just nonchalant about the whole thing which i think works mm -hmm. it works for the character of just like yeah, well, we felt that way, but then we got paid a lot of money, and now we feel this way, so fuck it. Who cares? Like, fuck right. you. I got more money than you. Flair celebrates being surrounded by women and says that Kevin Green is laying in a hospital bed in Charlotte. Also, he says that Macho Man has been reinstated and wants his money back and wants Elizabeth back, but tonight he's going to find out why Flair is on top of the world. I, I don't know what it is, um, and I'm wondering if you felt the same way, but he he hit all the classic Flair points here, but for me, something was off on this promo. Like, his heart wasn't in it or something. It just didn't have the cohesion that a Flair promo normally does, and I ended up... I, I didn't really like it uh, on the scale of Ric Flair promos. It was still yeah. better than 90% of the promos out there, but mm -hmm. I just... I don't know. It, I, it didn't really do it for me. What do you think? Uh, I don't know. Maybe, maybe he felt like the way I felt that I just I wasn't ready for another Savage Flair program. Yeah. And maybe he maybe he, he, it was just a night where it's like I don't have anything new to say about this kind of feud. I think we all know the situation here. Yeah, that could be it. We we've heard Flair say those maybe it's not the delivery that's changed. Maybe it's the fact that we kind of got a payoff to it at the Great American Bash. Mm -hmm. And so it's now just annoying me to hear these same Whereas before it never annoyed me because it was building to something. Okay, we got something. Why am I still hearing about these same things? Right. Out come Arn and Benoit, and the crowd is nuts for them. Benoit is, uh, has a black eye, but it's just makeup, FYI. Oh, something I wanted to say about that interview, that backstage interview. Yeah, yeah. Uh, for one thing, I I thought that Deborah McMichael is now suddenly a really interesting character. Yeah. Because she she plays it off really well. And, and like the whole, you know, 
yeah, yeah, I got paid. Not only that, I'm happy now because I have more money. Yeah. And that's like her whole character. And she does it like no one else can really like convince her otherwise. But uh, she she also was just really good at like having just like mannerisms mm-hmm. and expressions and reacting to things. So what I actually watched that this interview twice and I watched what she did and then I watched what Miss Elizabeth did. Oh, God. which was stare vacantly into yeah. some other corner of the room. Yeah. Gene tries to get her involved early by saying, like, Elizabeth, don't don't start or something. And she's right. just standing there. And after he says that, she just stands there. <laughs> One of these times that you should be like. Please, Elizabeth, start something. <laughs> and even and even Flair brings her in with like doing the kissing up the the arm, and she's yeah. just like, yeah, okay. And then just like she literally like returns to the same corner of the room. It's just, I think she might be just shy, and she just does this because she can get paid more doing this than anything else. And then I started to think about the whole fact that like her and Luger, like towards the end of her life, were like really into drugs yeah and maybe she's just like high on something maybe i yeah i don't know i just i just i don't get like she just doesn't have any reaction not even like a wrong reaction i would appreciate even a wrong reaction at this point yeah you know to some sort of effort i agree as arn and benoit like i said are making their way to the ring uh larry once again calls arn an endomorphic cyborg enforcement unit (laughs) Uh, i decided to this time look up endomorphic uh, and all I can tell you is that an endomorph is one of three human body types that is distinguished by its high preponderance of body fat. Yeah. Um, I, I'm i guessing, basing on reading them, that that is kind of Arn, because he does seem to, you know, he is clearly strong as shit, but he's got, like, strong as shit dad bod. Like, mm. it seems like no matter how hard Arn works out, he's always going to, like, look like the strongest husky guy, you know? Yeah. So I guess endomorphic is is apt but it does seem like an odd thing for a heel commentator who is praising a heel to say. Yeah, and and I mentioned before cuz I know he's he's said anamorphic oh, by, sure. by mistake and that's like that's the cuz now I know these like three body forms because <laughs> yeah. he, he said that and that's the one that's like it can't resist like gaining fat. Oh, okay. And so I I know I think he's going for like, you know, the the thick husky. Yeah. Anamorphic would be the correct type for Arn, for yeah, sure. but I know before he has said anamorphic. I don't know where Cyborg comes in, because as far as I know, Arn doesn't have any like robot implants. As far <laughs> maybe, as I know. Maybe he could pull up in his chest and he has like a gears and the, the hamster wheel. Yeah, all that hair is just to cover like the screws. <laughs> right. <laughs> Shivani says something that sounds like Harry Dick full for WCW Nitro. <laughs> I, I had to listen three times, and it turns out what he's saying is every deck full. But no, it sounds oh, like Harry Dick full. I, uh, I, I, you, you must have been hearing that weird, because I remember him saying every deck full. Oh, okay. Maybe it's just me. Out next are the American males. Marcus says that he hears exactly what he wants to hear, which is odd because the reaction is decidedly mixed. Right. <laughs> the ladies are definitely in favor of the American males. And it's not that all the guys are universally booing him. It's not a John Cena 2009 reaction. Right. Um, but they are getting some boos because the horsemen are mega over right now. Also, and when I was doing when I was doing the play, like uh, watching this match, I was feeling very smarkish. Because mm-hmm. uh, Tony Schiavone says Benoit Sullivan was uh, the most brutal match he's ever witnessed in his life. Yeah. And uh, not in. You know, I felt like to be I felt like being that guy. Okay. Um 
but Tony Schiavone was a backstage interviewer for Starcade 1983, which had the Roddy Piper, Greg Valentine dog collar match. Oh, that's a good match. Which is, you know, if you're talking about brutality, the Benoit Sullivan is far more innovative for the time, but like that is like maybe the most brutal match that WCW had. So yeah, I I just felt like being nitpicky there. Uh, was he also the announcer for the match where Abdullah the Butcher was in the electric chair in that stupid silly? Oh, cage? like that House of Horrors. <laughs> yeah, yeah. No, House of Horrors was the Randy Orton one just recently. Well, I didn't know if that was also called. Oh, was it? it uh, might maybe. Have been. <laughs> it was like the it was the the soft reboot of House of Horrors. <laughs> Maybe it was though the, the one where Abdullah Butcher you know gets the match a, I'm talking gets about. electrocuted yeah. at the end. A Chamber of Horrors, I think it's a Chamber of Horrors match. I think that might be <sighs> maybe Chamber. You you Google it while I talk for a little bit. <laughs> okay. Tony reveals that the WCW three man team for Bash at the Beach will be formed by a random drawing later on the show. Apparently, the WCW executive committee has put together six names based on win loss record, and three of those names will be drawn at later tonight. We don't get all six names right now, but we do get three of them. Uh, so the the ones we get right now are Hogan, Sting, and Lex Luger. To start off this match, Arn and Scotty Riggs are in the ring, and Riggs holds the four horsemen hand sign upside down, like that's some huge insult that the horsemen are really going to get pissed about. Right? Do you find that uh, Chamber Horror? It, it's Chamber Horrors. I'm I'm almost certain. Yeah, now. it's Halloween Havoc 1991. Okay, with the Chamber of Horrors match. Yep. Arn is not impressed by the uh, upside-down four-horsemen symbol, and he turns around and nails Marcus Bagwell with a punch to the face. Scotty comes off the ropes at Arn, who rolls to the outside to avoid a dropkick. Arn is very proud of himself until he realizes that Bagwell is behind him, and Bagwell socks Arn and rolls him back into the rig, where Riggs punches him to the ground for a two-count. By the way, that, that first little sequence with uh, with the, the, four ho- the four fingers down... Yeah, yeah. Um, I, I liked it because he he turned uh, Sky Riggs turned to do that to Benoit, and so while he wasn't looking, Arn Anderson instead attacks his partner. Ah, uh, yeah. And I just kind of like the little that element where it's like it's going to cost you. It's also going to cost your buddy to do that too. <laughs> Arn retreats to his corner and gets advice from Benoit. Larry says that Arn and Benoit look like Frank Purdue looking at a chicken. Yeah. <laughs> Uh, I decided to look this up, and Frank Purdue was the CEO of Purdue Farms, a chicken producer who gained some fame by being one of the first CEOs to appear regularly in his company's commercials. Mm-hmm. So he was actually on the Purdue Farms ads. Uh, so he, yeah, he had a company that sold chicken. So I guess they're looking at these other guys like they're going to kill him for profit like he would with chickens. That makes so, sense. I like it. Yeah. So they're looking at them, and they, they get like the dollar signs in their eyeballs. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> All I have to do is murder these things, and then I get money. Um, and since we got to the first mention of potential um, people that can be in this tag team match at Bash of the Beach, yeah, it's going to be the first time I'm going to suggest that why isn't the Giant listed among those? That's a good point. That's a great point. Arn and Riggs lock up, and after two leapfrogs by Riggs, Arn kicks him in the gut and goes for a pile driver, but Riggs hits a back body drop and a drop kick for a one count. Riggs works Arn's arm. Wow, that's a hard thing to say. Yeah. Riggs works Arn's arm and tags in Bagwell, who continues to isolate the arm, which is uh, pretty heelish. Uh, that mm-hmm. They're kind of working over a body part on Arn, but it kind of makes sense since the crowd is so behind the horsemen. I think they're kind of on the fly. Uh, they're not heels, but they're wrestling more the heel role. And we'll see shortly the horsemen start wrestling the babyface role. Yeah, and the thing... So the thing with Bagwell... Um, he always goes towards the crowd 
regardless of if they're cheering or not. Yeah. It just, to me, seems like that's clearly he has, like, heel potential. Oh, sure. Because he is, like, flamboyant and just, like, I don't care. I want I, I want you to cheer me. Yeah. Even if you're not cheering me, whatever. Well, that that kind of brings to mind this this next part of the match, which is sort of strange. Arn tags in Benoit, and the crowd cheers. They're excited to see Benoit get in the ring. And Bagwell decides to kind of hype them up. And he, so he's doing, like, the um, two hands, like, palms up the sky and then wagging his fingers like yeah come on cheer yeah and it you would think like okay he's doing that for himself to get cheers for himself but then he gestures to benoit like yeah you all want to cheer for this guy oh he is great let's all cheer for benoit it's so weird i didn't understand at all what was happening as a thank you for the cheers benoit kicks bagwell in the stomach before laying in some vicious chops yeah i so this sequence here I feel like it visually is a really great way of getting Benoit over because they have like a tight camera in the corner and he's just viciously beating on him and he's just like he exerts himself and he comes off as like just vicious. Yeah, absolutely. And it, and I think it's like since they don't, I mean, they're going to after the match, but like uh, they don't interview Benoit a lot. Right. And I think like if they t- took like this approach more often in his matches, you just get a better idea of like, this is the guy. This is his style. And then also, I noticed that I think Bagwell got a flu shot. Oh, really? Because he had like one of those tiny, <laughs> he had a tiny uh, Band-Aid on the back of his arm. Oh, funny. <laughs> Bagwell goes for a kick, but uh, Benoit catches his foot, and Bagwell hits an enziguri, but Benoit swats away a follow-up dropkick. Benoit goes for a power bomb, but Bagwell turns it into a very cool arm drag, like in midair, followed by a hip-toss attempt that Benoit blocks. Bagwell knees Benoit in the head and puts his leg over Benoit's neck like he's going for the playmaker, the MVP move. I don't know what that move is called. Otherwise. Oh, yeah. No, you I know guess. what I'm talking about, yep. though? Mm-hmm. And uh, but instead they do the reversal where Benoit like stands up and Bagwell ends up doing a backflip. Yeah. Um, so I don't know if the playmaker existed now. So I don't know in that time period what move he was in kayfabe going for. But it ends up just being like a cool spot that a guy does a backflip. That's that's like really the point at this point in time. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Marcus tries to hit a splash, but Benoit gets his knees up and tags Arn. And I think that was a great sequence that really shows the kind of worker that Bagwell was prior to the broken neck that he'll suffer later on down the line. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, you talked at the uh, pay-per-view a little bit about his match with DDP and feeling like... Um, he was lacking or kind of he, he, he looked inexperienced or green still. Um, I think it might just be more that either DDP was was the problem or there just wasn't chemistry between the two of them. I think Bagwell is actually really good. Yeah. No. And I, I what I don't know if I if it came off that way, but I was trying to say that I think both of those wrestlers have potential. I just don't think that they should both one of those should be responsible for leading a match. Yeah. Like I think those two guys should still be facing people more veteran like for example Benoit and Arn Anderson <laughs> right. yeah absolutely. I mean his, his antics and his offense everything looks just a lot better than they did the night before Arn methodically works over Bagwell before Bagwell goes for a backslide attempt at this point Benoit is supposed to distract Randy Anderson so Riggs can come in and drop kick Arn backwards into the backslide but there's some kind of weird miscommunication and Riggs and Benoit both try to come in the ring at the same time and then just stand there half in the ring for a solid, like, three seconds before they both leave the ring. (laughs) 
so then they both do it again, and this time Randy Anderson goes over to Benoit, allowing Riggs to come in and hit that dropkick that yeah. I mentioned. <laughs> the backslide gets a two count, and Bagwell hits a perfect plex for one, but Benoit breaks it up. Arn tags in Benoit, who hits some uh, more sick chops in the corner before stomping the shit out of Bagwell. <laughs> a side suplex from Benoit is followed by a top rope flying headbutt. Oh. He, yeah, I don't like that's it's hard to see him do those. It's it, it's not just Eddie headbutt, but this one you get a, a really good sound of just like skull on skull. Yep. It's it it's it was like I was like sickened by hearing it and it just yeah. He gets a two count before Riggs breaks it up. This brings in Arn who clotheslines Bagwell to a massive pop from the crowd and Arn gets fired up by it <laughs> he starts playing right to the crowd just like turning around on the apron just yelling at the crowd just trying to fire him up he is loving this shit right now and they are going full baby face like he's leaning into it he's not yeah. trying to get them to boo him he's like fuck yeah we're the horsemen right bagwell scoots through benoit's legs to make a tag and the males hit a double drop kick a pin is broken up by arn this was also tony indicated this was their finisher too a double drop kick? I guess they're yeah. both known as drop kick guys. So and that sure, was, that was the wasn't that the Rockers or did that was that just a thing they did? I can't remember. If the I rock- think it because they did the Rocker Dropper. I don't even remember what that is. Oh, that was that thing, and they injured a jobber doing it, and then he sued them, and Marty had to like show how to do it on a lawyer in court. Anyway, that's a whole other story. <laughs> Wait, is that like the playmaker? The Rocker Dropper? Yeah, maybe. Anyway, <laughs> Benoit- I don't care. <laughs> I don't care. <laughs> Benoit lifts Riggs and drops him gut first onto the top rope, which always looks sick to me when you just pick a guy up like you're going to suplex him and just drop on the rope. Yeah. And, and and Riggs, like, I think it's a tough thing to pull off, but Riggs, did, like, what I would consider the way, right way to react to it is to kind of bounce once and then come back onto the mm-hmm. mat. And he did, he did, like, perfectly. Yeah, and that's the finish. Benoit pins Riggs for three, assisted by Arn holding Riggs' foot. On replay, the holding the foot's kind of stupid because not only does Randy Anderson miss that, which makes him look dumb, but Arn is literally holding Riggs' foot onto the rope. It looks, I mean, it almost looks like cheating the wrong way. Like you're creating a rope break on the pin when you don't want to. Yeah, well, I mean, I personally liked it because, for one thing, it was from a vantage point in which Randy Anderson couldn't see it because it was, like, right above his head. And also, for heels, cheating for the sake of cheating... When it's like, yeah, he could have pinned Scotty Riggs if he wanted to. Yeah. But he said he decided to put grab his foot to make sure that they cheated at the end. So I liked it. All right. Thank you very much, Tony Schiavone. As you alluded to, we are going to be talking to these two gentlemen. Apparently, once again, the horsemen are a cohesive unit of four, as we saw last night at the Great American Bash. And that couldn't be more evident in your match, Chris Benoit, with the Taskmaster Kevin Sullivan, when you, Arn Anderson, came to his aid. Now, all of a sudden, apparently, the nature boy, and I can't believe it, Steve Mongo McMichael. (laughs) Everybody in this building is in shock and all over the world. When they, like Arn Anderson, flare at their worst, what these people are all responding to is... They like somebody that says what they're going to do, and then they do it. Now, McMichael's made the right choice. We're at full strength. Sullivan, you and I had a business deal, but when business deals go south, somebody takes a bath and somebody gets rich. 
I know it's tough down at the bottom of the wading pool, pal, but there's only room for four horsemen. You know, Arn Anderson, it isn't something you would typically read on a sports page. That sounds to me like it's something out of the business or marketplace section of the Wall Street Journal. Chris Benoit, you, uh, I quite candidly, the way I visualized it, you needed a little assistance last night, apparently. Sullivan, every action has a reaction. In your quest, in your goal, in your desire to nullify the horsemen, to separate us. Well, most of America watched the reaction last night. You felt it. The horsemen are about guts, glamour, and glory. All right, the signal, or the signal. Oh, here's a guy that's three fingers short. Watch it there, pal. The horsemen apparently together again, and I'm certain we're going to be talking about this in weeks to come. Benoit and Anderson here with us tonight. Stay tuned on TNT Live. More Nitro continues right after this. Don't go away. Gene is in the ring with the winners. Arn says that the world is in shock at the reunification of the horsemen. He says the crowd is responding to them with cheers because people like someone who says what they're going to do and then does it. And he's fucking right. Yeah. <laughs> like in wrestling, that's all that we want. We want a Stone Cold to be like, I'm going to come in there, I'm going to kick your ass, and Stone Cold would come in there and kick your ass. Mm -hmm. Nowadays, you get a bunch of people who say they're going to do shit, and then Stephanie and Triple H make the baby faces look fucking stupid, mm -hmm. and the heels, I'm not going to get into modern day. But like, I, I agree with him 100%. I think that is the biggest thing in wrestling, is a guy who says he's going to kick your ass, and then he kicks your ass. Yeah. That's what crowds want to see. Yeah, and, and you want to cheer for guys that, like, that, you know, to use a phrase that they talk the talk, but also walk the walk. And I think that's one of the reasons why I, for one thing, I, I, I always thought it was brilliant uh, from last night's show that, that, I mean, Ben Watt could have just beaten the shit out of Kevin Sullivan if he wanted to, but no, Arn Anderson decided like, I need to make a point by coming out and also kicking his ass. And the fact that that's what the fans wanted, that's why they went crazy for it. Right. Arn says, Arn addresses Kevin Sullivan and says that when a business deal goes south, Someone takes a bath, and someone gets rich. And he knows it's tough down there in the waiting pool, but there can only be four horsemen. That was <laughs> fucking awesome. Yeah. This was a great arm promo. Gene then addresses Benoit and condescendingly says that apparently Benoit needed a little help last night. Except uh, that's objection? Not, yeah, that's not fucking true in the slightest. Benoit beat Sullivan clean and then was kicking the shit out of him, and then Arn came and just helped kick the shit out of him, but yeah. he was doing fine. Yeah. Um, and the impression initially was that Jimmy Hart went and got uh, Arn Anderson to help because Benoit was kicking the shit out of him. Right. Yeah. At no point did Benoit need help. He <laughs> just he won the match and then he was kicking the shit out of a guy and Arn was like, that looks fun. Me too. <laughs> right. <laughs> but he's like, wait, 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 wait. Now I'm going to be about. <laughs> Luckily, Benoit is not a good promo. So he's clearly already thought about what he wants to say tonight. And he's not listening to what Gene is actually saying. Because right. he doesn't respond to that at all. He just says what he wants to say as if Gene is not mm -hmm. even that He's just a chair, you know. Mm -hmm. He addresses the Taskmaster by saying that every action has a reaction, which, Jesus Christ, that's in so many wrestling promos. I get so fucking sick of hearing <laughs> right. it. He said that Sullivan's goal to separate the horsemen had a reaction last night, which, quote, most of America saw. <laughs> I think that might be a bit of an exaggeration. <laughs> Gene then says, the signal, 
or the signal before making a joke about a fan allegedly flipping the bird. He, he's just kind of talking about the four horsemen signal, but he just says the signal or the signal and then trails off and makes a joke about a guy flicking him off. Oh, when, he's, just, when he's like, that person's holding up four. Oh, wait, I think it's three. He's a few I, fingers short. Yeah. yeah. I'm like, it's like, yeah, okay. That's another cliche gene thing to say. It's just, I, I, I'm only pointing out the weird stumbling and trailing off because it goes with what I was saying earlier about Flair, where so far in the show, nothing besides Arn Anderson is quite hitting on all cylinders. Mm-hmm. Nothing is terrible, but it's just something's a little off for me. Something is not quite clicking on this show. Yeah, my my first guess would be that they had a huge pay-per-view that went over really well, so a lot of guys partied the night before. That very well could be. <laughs> For the commercial, we get a pre-filmed promo from John Tenta, who fucking hell will be taking on Big Bubba in a rematch from last night. Why? (laughs) He won the match clean. Why is this happening? He says that Bubba got him first, and he got Bubba last night, and now we'll see who can finish the job. (laughs) After a commercial, out comes Bubba, whose goatee is now neatly trimmed instead of too long, only like a part of the side is shaved a little too close. It still looks better than it did at the paper, like, before Mm. it got cut by Tenta. Yeah. Tenta comes out with no music, which never, like, sometimes they do that as, like, a, this guy doesn't need a gimmick. He doesn't even need music, and it always sucks. It's never good. (laughs) Anyway, to call the match, here is Dave, and thank God he has to do this one and not (laughs) me. I'll tell you right now, I, I don't, I... Took no notes on okay. the action during this match because fuck this. Ha- uh, fuck it. <laughs> right. I'm going to go get water during this. That's what I'm going to do. <laughs> All right. So we're treated to another John Tenta versus Big Bubba Tilt. Just what the doctor ordered to flip over to Monday Night Raw. Because we're actually. Water. <laughs> he's filling up the cup. <laughs> but uh, seriously, we're like a minute away from our number two, which is like a minute away from Raw starting. This is not a good match to have going. Also, I'm wondering, as Tim was wondering, why they're wrestling again. And I decided to further emphasize this point by looking up their match record so far. Oh, boy. On Saturday night, on May 29th, they had a double countout. So, you know, even Steven. Monday Night Show on June 3rd, John Tenta, that was when he won by countout when he had the scissors and Nick Patrick didn't carry had scissors in the ring. Yeah. So he won by that countout. And then last night, John Tenta won by pinfall. So by those by that record he's two zero and one, but yet we're getting another match between these two. Although yeah. if they're really going on the hair removal, they are one to one. So fair enough. They also, uh, of course, uh, believe Big Bossman and Earthquake had a match, didn't they, during Bossman's babyface run? Did around they? like I think yeah, like Summer Survivor Series, like nineteen ninety or so, like around there. Okay, when Bossman was a good guy for a bit. Yeah, I, I can't imagine that was any better than this. <laughs> no, no, I doubt it. <laughs> if that's what you're <laughs> making the accusation of. <laughs> um, oh, I also thought it was interesting because uh, and maybe this is a result of being victorious in it before, but this is the first time that John Tenta came out and relatively seemed happy to be there. Yeah, yeah. He Since he, he won, he's still shaving that part of his head to keep his stupid haircut, mm-hmm. but he doesn't seem as like, beaten down of a man yeah. like a, a shell of his former self like, or whatever i like to think that before he got on the plane he went to get his mail and the mailman gave him a big <laughs> thumbs up 
<laughs> and he knew he knew that he finally yeah. made it. <laughs> uh, so John Tenta boasts about Bubba's shorn beard as Bubba tries a sneak attack at ringside. John Tenta thwarts the attempt and tosses him in the ring as the match begins. Uh, Bubba starts off with a series of forearms, punches, and a massive mist of snot, which uh, was beyond disgusting. I guess somehow I was lucky enough to miss that. <laughs> like I said, I was not engrossed in this match. Right. That's No, that's fair enough. Larry Zbysko says Tenta is about as big as the national debt as I count down the minutes before he's replaced by Bobby Heenan. <laughs> 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 An Irish whip by Bubba is countered by John Tenta as he hits a back body drop. Um, and at this point, I notice that John Tenta also has a large amount of snot hanging from his nose Aww. as this has quickly become the grossest match in wrestling history. <laughs> I actually wrote in Nitro history, but in res- retrospect, it's wrestling history. The clothesline by Tenta is followed up by a goddamn drop kick <laughs> that sends Bubba to the outside. Okay, I didn't see that coming. No. And I sh- this should be noted that in the previous match, this was enough for Bubba to give up and accept a, a count-out loss. Also, and I can't... I was trying to find it from last night's show. I don't remember if you brought it up. Did we discuss any something about Bubba's shirt as far as what mm, it says on it? No, never. Uh, Bubba's shirt is black and just says, Big Bubba, no trouble, which is funny if you think of him saying it in the third person. <laughs> Big Bubba, no trouble. Big Bubba, no trouble. As Big Bubba enters the ring, we're suddenly getting into marital advice, which, of course, for Larry Zbysko, is get a prenup. John Tenta taunts Big Bubba, but Bubba gains upper hand, eventually dropping Tenta onto his back and crotching him onto the ring post. Where I I think, you know, when he's laying on his back, he grabs both the legs and he yanks, so he gets get, like, gets a ring post of the dick. Mm-hmm, yep. Um, at this point, I objected to Microsoft Word's claim that crotching isn't a word, and then I added it to the dictionary, <laughs> so <laughs> I win. There's a few times here, Big Bubba seems like he really wants to interact with the camera, but he has no idea what he wants to say. So after he crotches him, he looks at the camera and says, What's a man? Always a man. <laughs> yeah, that's right. Yeah. Back in the ring, Big Bubba wallops John Tenta with open palm strikes, which seems in recent weeks to be kind of more of a popular like comeback move is the palm strike. A couple of nonchalant covers by Bubba can only get a two count. Meanwhile, Tony talks up the Great American Bash encore presentation, saying fans came up to him saying that they were out working late or out doing something and missed it. <laughs> oh, hey, Tony, I was out doing something. <laughs> yes, I was working on things. Also, keep in mind, like, since the pay-per-view, he's just traveled from Baltimore to Richmond, checked into a hotel, stayed the night, woke up, and went to the arena. How many people has he really run into that are telling him they missed the show? How many wrestling fans is he running into that weren't fans that traveled from the show to this Nitro? Right. right. Uh, Big Bubba, at this point, applies a rear chin lock and turns into an eye rake before eventually returning to his feet. John Tenta mounts a comeback as the two exchange blows in the middle of the ring. While Tony and and Zabisco argue the merits of John Tenta, which Larry asks, if he's so successful, why is half his head gone? In which Tony replies, well, these things happen. (laughs) (laughs) Which he, he says half his head, not his hair. 
Meanwhile, Tenta whips Bubba into opposite corners and hits the Tenta Splash, the second of which makes Bubba collapse into referee Nick Patrick's arms. This gives uh, Jimmy Hart an opening. He hits Tenta from behind with a megaphone. And there's a nice touch here as a megaphone gets like a static feedback when it hits oh, him. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. So I like that. Yep. Uh, Hart drops a megaphone and feigns innocence, but John Tent is no dumb fish. <laughs> Atomic drops City for the mouth of the South as Bubba tries to attack the distracted Tenta, but is body slammed for the potential pinfall. But Tenta gets up at two. Tenta picks up Bubba again, slams him, and puts his feet on the ropes for no leverage whatsoever and a three count. Dave, why did John Tenta cheat to win this match? I, I don't know. Let me lay out a few things for you. <laughs> One, he's the baby face. Mm-hmm. Two, the cheating was unnecessary. Right. It did nothing. Bubba didn't try to kick out. It didn't hold more weight. Mm-hmm. Three, Fuck. Like, I, I just. And it's also, it's just like, I, I mean, unless John Tenta wants to keep feuding with him. Yeah, all it does is give up an excuse for another match. Mm-hmm. It's so, I was baffled by that decision. And also, it just, I mean, I just feel like we're going to be, like, pounding at this, like, since last night. There's so many instances of leverage that's not leverage. Right. You know, they're, like, they're like adjacent to each other and he's like laying on him for a nonchalant press. How on earth is his feet on the ropes? Like even it's like, it's on the bottom ropes, by the way. Right. If it were on the second rope, I guess you could say it's putting more weight on Bubba. Although I would say it still would make it easier to roll out from under, but that's just me. (laughs) That goes back to your third question. Fuck. (laughs) After the match, Bubba tees off on Tenta with a loaded sock. After the beating, he empties it out and we can see that it was filled with quarters, which is, honestly fucked up because at least two of those shots uh were bubba whipping that thing as hard as he could right into tenta's face like to see yeah. that it's not gimmicked fucking a dude yeah he wallops him like there's at least one there's one shot early right to his fucking eye socket yeah and he's holding his face the rest of the time yeah i after seeing that and seeing that they're real quarters i have to think that there was some kind of real animosity on the part of bubba now I for to kind of give people an idea for research, I usually kind of read like the Wrestling Observer a few weeks in advance uh, to see if there's anything about the show that kind of came up later in a few weeks, and I didn't see anything. Um, mm-hmm. So maybe there w- it just it I can't believe the way he was whipping this guy in the face with a sock full of quarters. It's it, insane. It did seem like it, it was like some sort of like extra punishment because it was like unnecessarily and. And not only was he hitting him hard, he hit him approximately like 87 times with it, too. Yeah. It just went on and on and on. And also, oh, by the way, when uh, when Bubba eventually opened up the sock and he poured out all the silver dollars, yeah, uh, my parents' dog started barking at that. Oh, really? <laughs> Nothing else in the show bothered her yeah. whatsoever, but the, the money falling on the ground <laughs> just made her crazy. Well, you know, she's like, keep that. You could invest it. Like, what are you, <laughs> right. what are you doing? What are you doing, you idiot? Thank you very much, Tony Schiavone. I was supposed to talk to, supposed to talk to John Tenta. However, Jimmy Hart, what in the world? You again getting involved, and what did you hand him? A roll of quarters? Half dollars? The test master, Jimmy Hart, Big Bubba. We're making examples of everybody from now on that turn their back on the 
dungeon of I know you want to talk to John Channel, but I'll have to do. See this right here? This is jump change. But look at the damage it does to the big fat beast well in the ring. Hi, hi John Tenner. Take note, boys. Every single time I step in the ring with that fat piece of trash, I kick his butt from here to kingdom come. Just like I did at the Great American Bash. Whoa, whoa. Just like I did tonight on Monday whoa. Nitro. Yo. And if you don't believe me about the American Bash, tune in tomorrow night. There's going to be a replay. I sure as hell going to be watching. I'll tell you what, he has the facts somewhat twisted as we go back to you, Tony Schiavone. Following the match, Mean Gene is in the aisle with Jimmy Hart and Big Bubba. Bubba says that it may be chump change in his hand, but just look at the damage it did to that big, fat, beached whale in the ring. Which, <laughs> again, I feel like he's really going after Tenta tonight. Right. He says that every time he steps in the ring with that fat piece of trash, he kicks his butt, just like he did last night. And if you don't believe him, be sure and check out that replay. Yeah, didn't he say he was going to watch it? He did. He's going to, yeah, he's going to, which is going to be weird because then he's going to have to objectively deal with the fact that he lost a match he just claimed with. <laughs> Next, we're going to get Randy Savage versus Ric Flair. But when we come back from commercial, it's actually Mean Gene in the locker room with the Macho Man. We're back live with more WCW Monday Nitro. We're back in the locker room area. The highly anticipated matchup between this man just recently reinstated. Remember, he has been kept away from Ric Flair for the last five or six weeks with the exception of last evening, and you only touched on it. However, tonight, in just a minute and a half or so, Macho Man Randy Savage, you and the Nature Boy straight ahead, what's your game plan? Usually my plan is no plan. This time, tonight, don't blink, because I'm going to take my time. I'm going to be calculated. He is preoccupied with the women around Man, is he ever. And he doesn't understand that he's in a lot of trouble because I won't go away. Mean Gene Okerlund, I'm not all there. I admit that. But you know what? I'm staying in the WCW forever and forever and forever because there's no man that can put me down, nature boy. I am the macho man. You understand that? In just a little while, I'm going to be walking down that aisle. In fact, I can't wait. I'm I, going down. I have a question for you before you leave, Macho What's Man. What's your question? Did you seek any kind of treatment, any kind of psychological help, behavioral help? Yes, I did. I saw a woman psychiatrist, and she said I was OCD, one cool dude. And she understands the way I think right now. And everything's cool. Everything's copacetic. Everybody's happy. And I'm happy, too, because I'm happy about what I'm going to do right now. Check it out. I'm going to check it out. I thank oh, you, the yeah. Macho Man, Randy Savage. Keep in mind, ladies and gentlemen, he was just reinstated over the weekend by World Championship Wrestling. This is the first opportunity that he officially is going to have a chance to get his hands on the Nature Boy, Ric Flair. Ric Flair has made a public spectacle out of his relationship with these gals, and especially Miss Elizabeth, the former ex of the Macho Man. Right now, let's get you back up to the ring. Macho says that he usually has no plan going into a match, but tonight he's going to take his time and be calculated. He admits that he's not all there mentally, but he wants to stay in WCW forever because there's no man who can put him down. Gene asks if Macho sought any treatment, and Macho reuses his joke from a few weeks ago that he saw a female shrink, mm -hmm. and she said he was OCD, one cool dude. Yeah. I liked it the first time, but yeah. like we just saw it. 
He tells Gene to check out what he's going to do as he heads to the ring. Gene ends the segment by calling Elizabeth the former ex of the Macho Man. If someone <laughs> was your former ex, I would think they're your current significant other. <laughs> right. I also like that Randy Savage was telling the fans, don't blink because he's going to take his time with the nature boy. <laughs> yeah, Which I'm like, wait, actually, could I yeah, blink a couple times? Yeah, go ahead and blink all you want. I'm going to be taking my time. You're going you're gonna to beat on him a while. I'm going to go get a sandwich. <laughs> <laughs> if you need one, Randy. <laughs> so I, I also like the the fact that uh, that since Big Bubba beat the shit out of John Tenta, he like won his interview segment. Right. <laughs> yes. Yeah. As, you win the right to talk to Mean Gene. Yeah, and so and now we've we've had two matches already in which like the losers were the no wait three matches in which losers kind of were the winners at the end. Yeah. Yeah. As a macho man comes out, Tony notes that uh, Bobby the Brain Heenan is in the booth preparing uh, to take over for Larry in hour two of the show. Macho gets a good pop, but he pauses at the top of the aisle and heads to the announce booth where he runs off Heenan. Heenan sprints to the ring begging for mercy. Uh, he, like, throws refs in the way. He does whatever he can to, to stay, like, a good 20 feet from Macho Man. Mm -hmm. Bobby gets in the ring, and when he's followed into the ring by Savage, he does an impressive jump over the top rope and out to the floor. And... I don't think I've seen Bobby be that physical or agile since he like faced the Ultimate Warrior in the Weasel Suit match. Yeah, I I noted that as an all time highlight for Nitro of uh, Bobby Heenan throwing himself over the top rope. Yeah, it's it's pretty damn <laughs> impressive. Because I mean, it's like um, whenever you see someone get eliminated from a Royal Rumble and they aren't really being thrown, so they kind of have to throw themselves over. Yeah, that's like what he does. But yeah. it's Bobby Heenan doing that, and not and not like Saturn. Yeah, and it's just crazy given his neck surgery. Like generally, they shy away from anything physical with him. You know, mm -hmm. Savage doesn't give chase and just stays in the ring. And at that point, out comes the Nature Boy with his three lady friends. It is officially now the second hour of the show, and Bobby gets a headset on, but he's too out of breath to speak and just kind of too upset for a minute. Yeah. Once he catches his breath, he and Larry start doubling up on Tony, and I get really worried for a second that Larry's going to stay. Uh, and it's, <laughs> yeah, not even about, it's not even about Larry. I mean, it is a little bit, but two heel commentators just mm -hmm. ripping on a baby face play-by-play -play guy? No, thank you. Yeah. That sounds god-awful. <laughs> Flair shows off Kevin Green's t-shirt from last night and asks the camera, where are you now, Kevin Green? Woo! I love that because it's uh, one of the, it's part of Heel 101 is to taunt those that cannot respond to yes, taunts. Yes, yes. And also, it's also he's he's referring back to a character, that a guy that was only there for one match. Right. He's, just, he's adding a little bit more value to it for just, just a small thing, but I thought it was really effective. And it's like totally a Ric Flair thing to do is to always taunt people that can't respond to you yes flair gets his hands on a mic and says that every man in his life must experience the agony and pain of defeat in macho's case he experienced the pain of agony defeat and divorce <laughs> flair says to look at who is in richmond with all the girls before telling some punk in the stands to shut his mouth <laughs> savage's reply is that he's gonna kick flair's ass i gotta say weak response from macho man like, this guy comes out, and he talks a bunch of trash, and he's some of what he's saying is actually kind of gobbledygook. Like, he says, you're experiencing the agony of pain. or like so He, he yeah. mixes up his words a few times, but Flair sounds eloquent, and, like, he's getting some good burns in. And Macho Man sounds like he just has no improv skills. Like, he's just like, well, I'm, I'm going to kick your ass. 
Yeah, it, like you said before, it both these guys seem like they're they're kind of not all like there for like a hundred percent effort, especially. I mean, Flair. It's like you can you can find his regular like speaking points in yeah. there, but it seems like he's just kind of like throwing everything together. You know what's interesting, and it only just occurred to me now. You never hear Macho Man in his promos talk shit about Elizabeth at all. Like he never yeah. says like. Forget that floozy, I'm over her, or like I'm better off now, or like you mm-hmm. can have her. He just no sells the divorce thing, really. He yeah. goes off about the money. That was like what kind of got to him. But he they talk about this divorce stuff a lot and how he wants to get back with Liz, and he just no sells it. He I, I think the divorce like legitimately does bother Randy Savage, and mm-hmm. he doesn't want it being a part of his character. Yeah, in his um interview when they were backstage backstage with Gene Oakland, he makes a mention that he feels like Ric Flair is getting distracted by all the women. Yeah. And he, that might be to his advantage. But that's a case in which he mentions them all together and not, right. not pointing out uh, Elizabeth at all. Macho and Flair battle on the outside. Macho still in his jacket and Flair in his robe. Flair gets in the ring and tries to beg off, but Macho whips into the corner still in his robe. But Flair thumbs him in the eye and manages to escape uh, his clothing before another Irish whip and a back body drop as woman screams. Yes. And she screams this entire goddamn match. Like mm-hmm. she never stops. It, that's just, you just gotta be used to because <laughs> she did, she did during the the match last night and it was another one of those things where it's like, Oh, that's right. It sounds like domestic violence is under. <laughs> yeah. Maybe they might get somewhat different. Like, I don't know why tonight I noticed it a lot more, but it was just like, God, shut up, please. <laughs> On the outside, Flair gets another thumb to the eye and chops against the rail as we go to commercial. A lot of commercials during matches tonight. I feel like WCW hasn't used those too much, but tonight it's like constant. Yeah. Coming back, we see Flair toss Randy Savage over the top rope, which does not get a DQ as woman has been distracting Randy Anderson. So I guess that is still a thing, throwing someone over the top rope, because they made a point of distracting. uh, You actually see Flair tell woman to get up on the apron and distract Randy Anderson so he can do it. Also, I'm pretty sure the bell never rang for this match. That's possible. It might have after the robes came off, but I'm not positive. And and one of the reasons why it kind of like stuck with me is um, if you watch it on the network, yeah, it, you can't actually go to this match and it's finished. Oh, that's true. It's a bit. It's a blank. And I was trying to figure out why there was a blank there because I had the blank earlier for Benoit's match. And then there's this huge blank during this match. And as far as I could tell, they never ring the bell. There was a blank for the. Uh, horsemen versus the football players, too, on the pay per view, which I thought was very strange. Do they do they blanket if Benoit shows up, or if Nancy is oh. in it? Maybe I don't know. Good question. Hmm. Anyway, Flair joins Macho Man on the outside and holds him as Miss Elizabeth slaps him. Flair dumps Randy over the guardrail into the crowd, but Randy crawls under it to get back towards Flair, which was just <laughs> kind of funny. There was enough room for him to just crawl under like a. A little girl in a Japanese horror movie. I was, <laughs> That's apparently the thing I can think of that crawls is little girls <laughs> in Japanese horror movies. I also like the idea because like he immediately decides that's a good idea, and that could have just backfired. Yeah, like yeah, if, if he, he got stuck, that would have been amazing. Right. <laughs> or like cut by a screw that's down there or something. Uh, now we're thinking of new spots for Diamond Tail's page. <laughs> Randy attacks Flair in the aisle over by the VIP table. Randy shoves fruit and vegetables into Flair's mouth, but we can't. The camera just doesn't quite get exactly what it is, which is too bad because I bet it would have been funny. Yeah. 
around this time, I noticed that we've definitely lost Larry during the commercial. Like, it's been long enough where I'm like, okay, he's definitely gone. Mm-hmm. So we don't have to worry about two heel uh, color guys. I want, maybe, I wonder if that was one of the reasons why they took a commercial, because they're like, we don't want to do like an awkward, oh, that could be. bye, Larry. <laughs> Randy shakes up a champagne bottle and pours it over Flair as Tony yells, only on Nitro, only on TNT. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, over on Raw, you're not going to get somebody pouring champagne on someone. So, gonna... <laughs> As Flair escapes back to the ring, Macho Man grabs a candle and holds it up to the crowd like it's a super cool and deadly weapon he's found. <laughs> In the ring, Savage hits some punches before trying to shove the candle into Flair's ass. Right? Is that not what he's doing? Hey, they, she said he's one cool dude. Don't have to question it. It's so strange. He... he <laughs> Watch this match, at least uh, go on the network, find this match and watch it and tell me that Randy Savage is not trying to shove the candle into Flair's ass, but it kind of just breaks off and Flair doesn't want a candle in his ass, so he's not going to like sell that. <laughs> That's a little too much. <laughs> so Savage gives up on his wax and sodomy and goes back to some punches, including several in the corner as the crowd counts, uh, you know, 10 count punches. <laughs> I, I see. I say Flair's game for pretty much everything, but I would be OK if that was his limit. <laughs> <laughs> the wax wax sodomy flair stumbles from the corner before a classic delayed flair flop to the ground macho picks flair up and whips him into the opposite corner where he goes up and over and tries to recover on the outside flair tries to get back in the ring but macho man won't let him and flair ends up against the guardrail macho gets up to the top rope and goes for a flying nothing but flair moves and macho lands chest first on, on the top of the rail the announcers say that the entire wcw roster including the giant Bubba, the Steiners, Harlem Heat, and others wanted on that three-man tag team uh, to combat Hall, Nash, and their mystery partner. Flair and Savage are both on the ground on the outside as we go to a commercial again. I swear, every segment, the the reasons behind who's on the list changes. <laughs> yeah. there's At one point, they said it's like the 6-6 six, six with the best, cl- yeah. the best uh, win-loss record. And then it's, uh, you know, Hogan's in there. And, and some well, of the names, they, some of the names mentioned are just Larry Zbysko guessing. Yeah. And then now at this point, Tony's just like naming everyone. Well, he's naming people that wanted to be. So I think everyone wanted to be, but the executive committee picked the best six based on win loss record. And as we learn later, quote, other considerations, <laughs> which are never like enumerated. So that would, would that be suggesting that the giant was like, I want to be in this match? And they're like, no. Yeah. Cause he would, I would think at least percentage wise would have one of the best win loss records in the company mm-hmm. um but maybe if you're going on v- excuse me but maybe if you're going on volume of wins he wouldn't have that many just because he has not been around that long yeah so at this point when they talked about the win loss i went to this website ddt digest yeah in which they have uh the segment this uh area called who's going to the pay window okay which is uh just flat out win loss records yeah. on TV mm-hmm. and um and some of the normal ones are on there like Sting and Luger and Flair and all that but one guy that prominently has a really good win loss record is Diamond Dallas Page interesting and so i was like well how come they don't even mention him he seems like he was at like 80% victory wise on TV he won at the pay-per-view yeah that's true it i it just i really feel like this lead up to this lottery or whatever that they're pretty much making a rule in which like everyone could be in it possibly. I guess I I like the that at least they're paying lip service to win loss record. Mm-hmm. You know, at least even if it's bullshit, I like that they're pretending that that matters. 
But I, I just, well, when we get to Lodwe, we'll talk about All that. All right. When we come back from commercial, Flair is hitting chops in the corner. Savage starts bumping to the mat from each chop, but then popping up instantly. Like, he oh. takes a chop, bumps on his back, gets right up. Yeah. Takes a chop, does a back bump, gets up instantly. Then he takes control with punches until eating a flare elbow. Flair goes to the top rope, and in a rare deviation from the Flair playbook, he jumps over the Macho Man as Savage runs at him. So he doesn't actually get thrown to the mat for once. Whoa. Yeah, it was crazy. He still doesn't hit a move. He jumps over Macho Man. And he's clearly not practiced at it because he's very awkward, and his leg clips the Macho Man, like, Mm -hmm. as he jumps over him. Not a kick. He just, like, bumps him accidentally. And that causes him to land with all of his weight on his other leg, and it's very awkward. The, and the announcers immediately speculate that Flair has hurt himself, and I don't think it's Kate. I like. I think they're legitimately concerned that he's hurt himself. Yeah. Oh, yeah. So I think I was a little bit like um, paying half attention, but I do remember yeah. that they were saying like that he might have blown his knee. Yeah, but he didn't. He gets up and he's fine. Yeah. He's moving just fine. Like a, so, it's it's not kayfabe. Like it's not the plan that there was a spot where he was going to quote get injured. It just, they thought he got injured, but somehow he was, I mean, Flair is a genetic freak in terms Mm -hmm. of, like, long-term health and stuff, uh, and the bumps he takes and how good his body's held up considering, and the punishment that he's put in drugs and alcohol-wise. Yeah, and, you know, the whole, like, back being broken should have ended his career and probably never... plane crash that he lived through. Yeah. Although he sold to like a champ, <laughs> <laughs> he did sell that plane crash. I I just I like the fact that like clearly like Ric, Ric Flair at even at that time was like one of the most veteran wrestlers in wrestling. It's just that he's so used to being thrown off the top rope that he's inexperienced as far as a top rope moves concerned. But he's goes to the top a lot. Yeah, he always he just, goes he up. just has no idea what to do. Yeah, when it he gets really there. shows that he has no plan for when he gets up there. And it's so <laughs> it's so great that like his. Ric Flair, the wrestler, like, doesn't have a plan because he never pulls it off. And Ric Flair, the actual person, also doesn't know what to do. It just plays off so fun. It just, yeah. Tony is once again plugging the replay. And we haven't mentioned it before because I would be mentioning it just constantly. But this is about the 30th time tonight that he specifically mentions that a match last night went into the bathroom. Yeah, yes. Now, in context, the match going into the bathroom was awesome. But if you didn't see the match and all you heard was, you guys, last night a match went into the bathroom, I'd be like, that doesn't sell a pay-per-view. Fuck, who cares? I'm not going to watch just because they go in a bathroom. Yeah, the the Steiners and Fire and Ice could have gone into the bathroom and yeah. it probably would have been shitty. Yeah, it does not sound like a cool selling point the way they keep mentioning it. Right. I mean, they should be like, this match was brutal. Yeah. Yeah, this brutal match spilled out into the crowd all over the arena. You won't believe, like, something like that would just make a lot more sense. Yeah. Macho Man gets a body drop and a top rope double sledge. Flair is down in the corner, and for stupid wrestling reasons, Randy Anderson prevents Savage from going after him, which, of course, allows Flair to seize a foreign object from his knee pad. There's no reason for Randy Anderson to stop Savage other than he has to get a foreign object out of his knee pad. Also, Ric Flair is well aware that the ref's not looking because he fucking showcases this this weapon. He pulls he, it out, like throws it up in the air, and snatches it from the air, like <laughs> right. He nails Savage with it and struts around before hitting a standing elbow drop for a two count. Flair voices his displeasure with Randy Anderson, and as they argue, Savage nails Flair in the back, and Flair bumps into Randy Anderson, which sends the ref spilling to the outside. 
And I feel like uh, this was kind of notable because I don't think we've seen a lot of ref bumps on Nitro. It's actually, mm-hmm. I mean, they get used a lot in the future, just in wrestling in general. They get used way too much. Yeah. But at Nitro, it's been kind of a pleasant rarity. Bobby immediately claims that Savage did this deliberately and should be suspended. <laughs> Savage gets a low blow on Flair, who sells comically before going down. Savage goes up for an elbow drop as Flair obviously moves himself into a better position for the move. <laughs> Just ridiculous. <laughs> Savage nails the elbow drop and goes up for another one, but all three women get in the ring and stand in front of Flair. Well, women and Liz stand in front of Flair. Deborah just kind of stands behind him. Like, she wants no chance that she's actually going to get touched <laughs> during the spot. She's just here for the money. She's not here for, like, any sort of wrestling... <laughs> Savage doesn't give a shit, though, and he goes for the elbow anyway, and the women scurry out of the way. In comes Benoit, but Savage gives him a pile driver. Next is Arn, who gets tossed to the outside. Savage goes back to nailing Flair, forgetting that there is now a fourth horseman, so he fails to see Steve Mongo McMichael enter with the briefcase from last night. Mongo nails Savage several times. He lays Flair on Savage, and Arn puts Randy Anderson back in the ring, who counts the three. McMichael on the outside then puts a big show of putting on a horseman t-shirt, mm-hmm. which, like, why? That This isn't a reveal. We know already yeah. you're a horseman. Yeah, that was goofy. It was very strange. Horsemen stomp on Savage, and it's easy to kick a man while he's down, says Tony. And more fun, says Brain. Yes! <laughs> That's, he says it, like, instantly, too. He's right. got it queued up. <laughs> right. I don't like this finish, given that, uh, spoiler for Bash at the Beach 1996, Randy Savage is going to be on that team. Mm-hmm. He's going to be in the main event of the pay-per-view that's... You've only got two more weeks before that pay-per-view happens, and here he jobbed a flare and gets beat down after the match. It's just not a way of making him seem like one of your credible top stars who can fend off Hall and Nash. I, I don't like this booking at all. Yeah, and um, like you said before, I I did... I felt like the... the, the Savage Flair angle pretty much ended the night before. Right. Because everyone's focuses are, have changed. And, and now that, I mean, the fact that he was being reinstated, it was like a good and easy opportunity to have him face anyone. Right. Um, This this whole match segment was wild. Yeah. Though, and, and it's hard to really portray, uh, yeah, portray like how into it the fans were, especially towards the end with the elbow drops. Yeah. Benoit coming in. Because it's like, not only were the fans loving the action, but the fans love everyone in it, too. That's true. This this is a pro-horseman crowd. They are also a very pro-Randy Savage crowd. Yeah. but And the thing was, like, it was a wild match, and then but there was just, like, maybe more than a few instances in which it got, like, a little bit too comical. Sure. Like, it's kind of hard to take the feud seriously if he's, like, pouring champagne on his head. Right. Or, like, going to the catering and things like that. But, you know... It's really hard to say this really stands out anyway because it's like how many times have we seen Macho Man versus Ric Flair? Do we need to see it one more time? I don't really feel like it. I think, you know, maybe Savage could have gone against like uh, Scott Norton or some someone that was like a tough challenge that he could beat just to make himself look good upon his return. Right. I agree. Comfort uh, back here. This is safe haven, at least for the time being, after what we have just seen out of the arena and up in the ring. Gentlemen, last night at the Great American Bash, it was quite evident to me that there are little cliques that are being established within the ranks of World Championship Wrestling. There are even outsiders coming in and declaring war, challenging other members of our organization. 
And Jimmy Hart, I really don't know what to make of it, but I know that this man and certainly this man are going to be involved. You know, Kevin, I told you, how many times did I try to tell you that you couldn't trust anybody in the Four Horsemen, Iron Anderson, Ric Flair, ever since you got rid of Brian Pillman? These guys have been out to get us, man. You know it, and I know it, too. It's a war. This All right. war's breaking out. You know, they say in the last days that wars will be all over the place. There's a legal war going on. There's a war that when Hogan comes back, he'll be after the dungeon, and there'll be another war. Now, war has been declared. You say you're the elite group in professional wrestling, Arn Anderson, and you stuck out your hand to me? The only man I may respect in this wrestling business. He stuck something. Yeah, and let me tell you what. I've been in violent fights my whole life. But last night, when we fought around that arena, ended up in a men's room, ended downstairs. And then when it was all over and I was laying down and Iron Anderson came up. Instead of making the deal, he made the deal with Benoit and kicked me in the ribs. Larn Anderson, I have a strange mentality. There's a fine line in my head between pain and pleasure, my friend, and I like that. This is an elite. The problem started when they claim that the four horsemen of the elite if you're the elite, then how come one of the four of you is not the WCW World Heavyweight Champion? It's plain and simple, Taskmaster. They're jealous, they're envious, and they're incapable and incompetent of taking the World Heavyweight Championship belt away from me. I am the best that ever came out of the Dungeon of Doom. And anybody in the Dungeon of Doom is better than any horseman could ever dream to be. I dare you, I implore you, one horseman, two horsemen, three horsemen, four horsemen. Come in the ring with a giant, and they'll all fall down. And all the king's men and all the king's horses won't be able to put them back together again. All right, I thank you, by the way. The giant, a little bit later on in this television program, is going to be locking up and defending against Scott Steiner. We don't know the physical condition of Steiner after what happened earlier on, but gentlemen, I want you to contemplate one other thing. Please, later on on this program, I'm going to make the announcement about the bash at the beach in Daytona on July the 7th. Six of the elite superstars of World Championship Wrestling have been selected. We're going to take three out of that. That's a different story. I know it is. I'm telling you this. I don't care about the four horsemen. What comes first? It's WCW. All right, I thank you, Kevin Sullivan, the Taskmaster Giant, Jimmy Hart. Stay tuned. More Monday Nitro right around the corner here on TNT. Backstage, Mean Gene is with Kevin Sullivan, Jimmy Hart, and the Giant. He says that it appears like cliques are forming within WCW. There are even outsiders coming in and declaring war, and I think that's the first time the term outsiders is used to describe I, National Hall. I think, I mean, unless, I mean, we're talking just like nitros and stuff like that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I'm, yeah, I'm pretty sure you're right. Jimmy Hart can't help but tell Sullivan that he told him so, and in fairness, he kind of did tell Sullivan, so <laughs> right. don't mess with the horseman. Nothing good can come out of it. He <laughs> right. kept trying to warn him. 
I think there there were interviews with those two when he's like, oh, I told you not to mess with him. He did it on the pay-per-view. He was like, we've got the giant. He's got the belt. Why are we doing this? And yeah. Sullivan kept pushing. So, yeah, Jimmy Hart's 100% right about this. Like Benoit, Sullivan also has makeup on to look like a black eye and a huge bruise on his nose. And it looks mm-hmm. really cool. They did a good job. It, yeah, it does look really good. Sullivan says that in the last few days, there have been wars all over the place. Right now, there's a legal war. There's war that will happen between Hogan and the Dungeon, and another war between the Dungeon and the Horsemen. Sullivan says he's been in violent fights his whole life, and then fucking meanders all over the goddamn place, like, just talking about nothing. Mm -hmm. And eventually, the Giant just starts his promo rather than wait for Sullivan to finish. Yeah, that was like, thanks, Giant. Thank you. (laughs) Giant says that the problem started when the Horsemen claimed that they were the elite. If they are the elite, why isn't one of them the champion? Giant says that the horsemen are jealous, incapable, and incompetent, and everyone in the dungeon of Dra- and I almost said the dungeon of dragons, <laughs> and everyone in the dungeon of doom is better than any horseman could ever claim to be. And I'd like to point out by that logic, Max is better than thirteen-time world champion Ric Flair. <laughs> but despite that little bit of silliness at the end, I thought that was a great promo by the Giant, easily mm. his best that I've seen uh, so far. And not only that. This was, um, to me, this was the least nervous that I've yeah. seen him because he was like, he's like, no, I want to do my promo now. I'm ready. I'm ready. And um, when, once it goes back to Gene, then like he's like throwing in these little bits of like, oh, it doesn't matter because it's going to be a choke slam. Yeah. And yeah. The giant, he was great uh, on a show where it seemed like there's a little bit of a letdown mm-hmm. from a lot of people from a, a real high last night. The giant is one person who seems to actually be uh up you know he's ready for a big show it, it's like because we were saying how last night he looked like he might have been partying too hard yeah and then la- maybe maybe last night was his night off and everyone else party instead <laughs> maybe so he's getting the advantage of that today gene mentions the drawing later and sullivan makes a point to say that whatever comes first even for the dungeon is wcw so yeah i i kind of you didn't like that well I don't know. I just I don't feel like that would be the Dungeon of Doom's motto. <laughs> I guess. I I just I like that like we're all we're all having these wars and all this shit but like when other people come in and try to fuck with uh, I don't know. I get, I see where you're coming from. No, no, I think I think it's a good idea. I just the way he delivered it was just like very like disingenuous. Sure. And it was when they're doing like the the nitro plane out to commercial. That's true. He's like cramming that sentence in. Yeah. So I I was like, you know, maybe if they made it more of an emphasis at the beginning. Well, he did say the outsiders were coming in. So yeah. yeah. No, I I think I like the idea that everyone in the back of their minds like we have to take care of these guys because they want to ruin our our business, like the the place that we make our livelihood. But it's just the way that he did it just was kind of like, oh, I need to have this other point in there, too. Our world is about to change. Enter the realm. Blood runs cold. In each of us burns the fury of a warrior. We go to commercial, and holy shit, our world is still going to change, Dave. I almost forgot that our world was about to change. 
I I can't remember. Is this the first time that we've actually seen him? Yes. In okay. this uh, particular promo, we finally see a little bit of the wrestler that they're hyping uh, with these these uh, vignettes. And it's seriously, I know with hindsight, we can all say this, but even like from the jump, you can tell that this is a ripoff of Sub-Zero for Mortal Kombat. Every single piece of the costume they show you, you're like, mm. this are, are they just, did they make a deal with Midway? Is this just a Subway, a Subway, a Sub-Zero wrestler? Like, is are they doing a crossover? Not only does it seem like Sub-Zero, it, it feels a lot like the Mortal Kombat movie. Yeah, yes. And, and, and they're trying poorly to approximate that style of music as well. Yeah. But <laughs> there's just they do like the just the, the over the top like like uh the hero putting on his gear. Yep. And showing like like the fists. Yes. And then like his belt and his leg and stuff like that. It's and just, they tell us that in each of us burns the fury of a warrior. <laughs> And then at the end, uh, notably, instead of saying blood runs cold, it actually says Glacier is coming to WCW in July of 1996. So within the next few weeks, we should have Glacier. And my my first thought was maybe Glacier should be in the Bash of the Beach match Ooh. because because the element of surprise. No, they would not know what kind of wrestler he is. They would not be able to prepare for him. <laughs> And uh, based on win-loss record, he's never lost. He's undefeated. <laughs> it's, it goes to infinity. <laughs> Coming back from commercial, we go to the booth where Tony and Bobby uh, finally show us what happened to Eric Bischoff last night, which they've teased and teased and teased throughout <laughs> the show. Or do they? Yeah, we don't get video of the table spot. We do get stills of Nash like lifting him up and then him laying on a broken table because he got to sell those replays. I swear they changed their mind as far as what they're going to show because at the beginning of the show we got actual footage up until the power bomb. It's a bait and switch. They want us to think we're going to see the video later so that we stick around and then later they're like here it is and it's not so that we want to watch the replay. <laughs> it's fucking shell game bait and switch wrestling carny bullshit. <laughs> I don't but it's just like like my I don't think I would have a reaction of I've been had. Well, I better order that pay-per-view now. <laughs> You outsmarted me. Here's here's my hard-earned money. It's just so weird to put your mind in that place, too, because nowadays you could just, if they tried that shit, you'd just be like, well, I'll just go on YouTube and I'll find it within seconds (laughs) for free. I mean, the replay, because the original show I also watched for free. Uh, Right, (laughs) with my illegal stream from (laughs) (laughs) Russian.wrestling.porn. I don't know. (laughs) They're always... (laughs) Those are always like questionable looking sites. <laughs> I'm just watching wrestling, Ma. Get out of here. Apparently, Eric Bischoff is still in the hospital, and Tony sends him his best. We then see further stills of the Mongo heel turn, then some of the street fight. And did you know that they went in the men's room in that street fight, Dave? <laughs> Another thing that they've said a thousand goddamn times tonight is. War has been declared and war was accepted. <laughs> they say that over and over and over again. Tony says that the announcement later tonight of the WCW participants in the match at Bass of the Beach has got to be the biggest announcement in WCW history. Yeah, I, I definitely caught that. <laughs> Brain says that he has no idea who the third man will be. He says Bischoff may never walk again and a lot of people are going to get hurt in this war. Maybe <laughs> including you, Tony. <laughs> 
this back and forth between them gets like even better as it goes <laughs> on. But I like, I just like from the beginning that he just like, well, gotta be paranoid about everyone now. <laughs> Tony sends it to Mean Gene, who is in the aisle with Rey Mysterio. All right, thank you, bud. Uh, by the way, I should point out Rey Mysterio Jr., a great superstar that comes in to this great organization. And of course, he is from south, well, actually from south of the border down in Mexico. We've heard so much about you. Last night, I saw you at the Great American Bash challenging cruiserweight champ Dean Malenko and Rey Mysterio Jr. I have never seen such tremendous acrobatics in my entire life. And what a sensational match. However, Malenko bending the rules a little bit. He got the pin, but his legs, his feet were actually on the ropes. That's right. That's right. He was on the ropes. He was holding the ropes. I don't like that. Malenko, he's very professional, and I respect him a lot. But I'm going to show him what I'm made out of. And I'm going to teach him tonight because I want that cruiserweight title on my waist. All right, Rey Mysterio, perhaps if I can prevail upon you something to our great Latinos that are viewing this television program tonight. Van a ver quién es el mejor campeón del mundo porque se lo voy a demostrar arriba en el ring. All right, he is Rey Mysterio Jr. You're going to be hearing a lot about this young man. He is absolutely dynamite as we get you back to action. Gene says that he's never seen such amazing acrobatics as he did last night from Ray. However, Malenko still won the match with his feet on the ropes. Ray says that's right. Dean was holding the ropes. No, he wasn't. He had his <laughs> legs in the ropes. And Ray doesn't like that. Malenko is very professional, and Ray respects that, but he's going to show Dean what he's made of and teach him tonight because he wants that cruiserweight title. Gene then asks Ray to say something to our great Latinos <laughs> who are watching the show, and Ray says some stuff in Spanish. Yeah. Uh, Ray seemed very nervous. He's never been a, even, you know, later in his career, he's not a great promo, mm -hmm. but leaps and bounds better than he was. At, he's so nervous. He's just a nervous little kid yeah. at this point. Yeah, and, and at first, he looks like the saddest person around when he's standing there. Yeah. And I think it's just like, he doesn't know, like, he, he should be showing an emotion, like, before he even talks. Right. Um, and also, when they toss it to Mean Gene, uh, Mean Gene called Tony Bud. Oh, I didn't notice that. <laughs> He's like, okay, bud. Um, and also, I like that the idea that bringing up the using the rope since it's an underhanded tactic, which could, you could suggest that is a reason for a rematch. I agree. And it's, it's just funny that Malenko had his feet on the ropes, but... Mysterio claims he was holding the ropes, and then later Tony will make that same mistake during the match and say that Malenko is holding the ropes. Yeah. I don't know if he's trying to cover for Ray or what, but it's just weird that they kind of start going with that story. As Malenko makes his way to the ring, Bobby and Tony talk about the attack on Bischoff, and Tony notes that Eric is the host of Nitro, as well as the man with the insight to lead WCW into the 90s. So they're still uh, sort of, you know, they called him before an executive vice president, no, not executive. They called him before an executive producer. Uh, so it is, you know, they're definitely alluding more and more to the fact that Bischoff has control around here. He's not just a guy who's talking who got attacked. Yeah. Now to call all of the action of Dean Malenko versus Rey Mysterio Jr. for the cruiserweight title is our own Dave Amendorp. All right. Well, at some point, I think there should be a, a competition between Dean Malenko and the Giant as far as who likes to wring their wrists more. <laughs> yes. Because Dean Blink, and I like the the fact that uh, Ray Mysterio was talking about how 
uh, Dean Malenko cheated. He doesn't really think that's honorable and things like that. Yeah. And Dean Malenko comes out with this expression like, I could fucking care less what you think. <laughs> I just want to add, uh, if we're having a match of who likes to play with their wrists more, I want it to be a triple threat with Regal in there. Oh, okay. Regal would sell the shit out of that match. <laughs> Getting all pouty that other guys are doing better wrist <laughs> or moving. just like over the top, like shock at how they're wringing the wrists. Yeah. <laughs> Also, for the record, Bobby Heenan, he doesn't see eye to eye with Bischoff in many in many issues, but he definitely would never powerbomb him through a table. All right, so Dastardly Dean will have no part of a pre-match handshake, and the match starts off pretty slow as the two are trying to kind of feel each other out. Um, there's some impressive acrobatics as Ray counters being monkey flipped by landing on his feet. More positioning as the two exchange hammerlocks and headlocks, but neither man gains an advantage. Dean catches Ray's kick and tries to shove him to the mat, but Ray backflips and then eventually does a moonsault off the top ropes, but doesn't attempt to cover. At this point, I also notice that Ray seems to be having comfort issues with his mask, too. It's um, unlike his typical mask, this is the one where you can see the, the, the back of yeah. his head. Um, and I don't know if maybe he doesn't wear it very often, but he every time he like jumps or lands, he's always adjusting his mask. I kind of thought it was maybe bad branding to have different gear you know it's only his second time in the company and his first time on nitro i would have stuck with the same gear as the night before um yeah but having just read uh, a lot of ray's book at least the point up to kind of this point in time he is selling masks to dudes in japan for like 800 bucks a pop and oh. for one that was used on like an american pay-per-view mm-hmm. probably is gonna i mean that's probably gonna get a, oh a, so he, quite he, a lot he's of money. thinking like Unique masks all the time. That's my guess. Yeah. No, well, that's... I <laughs> I support that then. <laughs> yeah. um, Dean Malenko leaps off the second turnbuckle for a body press, but Ray moves before getting a crucifix pin uh, for a two count. There's more impressive moves and counter moves before Dean grows weary and simply levels Mysterio with a clothesline that turns him inside out. And what Bobby Heenan says that folded him like an envelope? Hmm. So generally you don't want to fold envelopes. Yeah, I don't know. Although envelopes are just like they come pre-folded. So maybe he's like, you know, an envelope is just a paper. Is, is I don't want to get into how envelopes are made. His sign is like someone like <laughs> closing the envelope. No, they're, they're like handmade. <laughs> Let's stop talking about envelopes. Right. <laughs> it's so not important. <laughs> Uh, after this massive clothesline, Malenko starts to work on Mysterio's back with a backbreaker and a belly-to-back suplex to soften him up. Then he applies a half-bossing and crab, and he really takes some time to make sure not only is he wrenching him back, but he's like in a very comfortable position so he can hold it as long as he wants to. But then he breaks a hold, so I didn't really get that whole point. Mm-hmm. Um, so he breaks a hold, and as he sets Mysterio up for a brain-buster suplex, Tony and Bobby talk about the volatile atmosphere around WCW, culminating in Heenan suggesting he punched Tony in the mouth because he's worried Shivani is thinking the same thing. <laughs> that was the gist I got from it. The Brain Buster suplex only gets a two count from Malenko. Uh, so Ray slides out of the ring to give him his back some rest, and Malenko is more than happy to wait him out. The strategy works as Dean uh, slams him on the mat upon reentry. Then there's a little bit of uh, indecisiveness between the two as they're both trying to go to the top rope, mm-hmm. blocking. And there's one point when 
Ray could have done her Karana, but he just like backflips back into the ring and doesn't do a move. Yeah. So there's just clearly a, a point here in which they don't know what they want to do. And uh, Dean settles the matter with a thunderous backdrop. Seriously, like at this point, you realize that uh, Dean Malenko enjoys those rare moments in which he gets to outmuscle an opponent because he is just slamming and yeah. beating the shit out of Ray Mysterio tonight. Dean Malenko applies an abdominal stretch as Tony once again plugs the encore presentation of the Great American Bash. And as he converts it into STF, uh, as Bobby as Bobby Heenan and Tony talk about the ridiculous amounts they pay to see Great American Bash again. Bobby said he didn't care if it was $1,000 a minute, which with a quick check would make that $167,000, <laughs> which in 2017 would be $259 and $259,826. Yeah. <laughs> nice. I then, I think at that point, Bobby suggests that, like, that, um, that Tony pays to wear it and he'll just come over and he'll pay him back. Yeah, later. yeah, yeah, that's right. <laughs> um, and they, they use that whole talking about ridiculous amount of money to segue into the money that Mongo and Deborah got from the Macho Man. So it was goofy banter, but at least they got a little bit of a point out of it. Sure. Meanwhile, there's been a tragedy in the ring as Rey Mysterio is dead at the age of 21. Dean Malenko killed him with a powerbomb. However, the zombie version of Rey Mysterio manages to kick out. Seriously, he annihilates him with this powerbomb. Yeah, yes, it is impactful as hell. And after that kick out, my network kind of like flipped down for a few seconds. And then it, it came back when Malenko has Ray in a camel clutch. I don't think I missed a whole lot, but I think it just a few seconds kind of blanked yeah, out there. Yeah, another I remember. The action spills out to the ring where uh, Ray whips Malenko into the, the favorite object of WWE wrestlers' affection, the barricade, before sliding into the ring. And he does a top rope hurricanrana the, the out, oh, out, out yeah. to the ring. And it looks impressive because he's so small. It's like such a ways just to drop down right. and hope to land on their shoulders. Yeah. But it, it looks great. Back in the ring, Rey Mysterio impresses the crowd with increasingly acrobatic roll-ups and covers on Dean, but none of them can manage to secure the title victory. The fans are really getting behind like these roll-ups and these different moves they just haven't seen before. Eventually, uh, Dean catches Ray off guard and once again murders him with a reverse DDT that secures the victory. Now, w- coming into this match, I read that there was like a reverse DDT pinfall. And I was, I was like, I don't know how well that would play over. Yeah. But the fact that he just, like, destroys them with it. Yeah. I agree. I didn't have a problem with that at all. Um, so there's some indecisiveness in this match. Um, but I really want to put, like, a special kudos out to Ray Mysterio Jr. Because he just let Dean Malenko just throw him around and slam him and just destroy them. Um and yeah, like I said, he has some indecisiveness, especially when he gets onto offense and is not like going in through a sequence of aerial right. moves. Yeah, but uh, you, there's clearly a lot of potential there because he 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 can do aerial moves, but he can also do mat wrestling. He he's more than just the guy with the highlights. So um, yeah, I thought both these matches did a really good job of kind of like showcasing him, but it kind of it kind of. Uh, it seems like I don't know if it hurts him or not if he has like these two clean losses in a row. Yeah. 
I agree. I don't like he just debuts and back to back he gets and this is cleaner than the loss before. Mm-hmm. So I kind of found that questionable. I thought the match was good, but I'd say it was like a full star below their match from last night. Yeah, just the timing just wasn't quite there, but it was it was good and it definitely showed off Mysterio. I'd like to see more of him. Um, I just hope they find a way to make him look stronger in the future. Yeah, it se- it seemed like. You know, it's easy. It's easy just to turn around and do the rematch as far as preparing for a nitro. But it seemed like it could have helped him if he had to, if he had the interview saying like, "I disapprove of the antics of the champion, and I hope to like get another shot at him." And then have him face another luchador or another cruiserweight right. to like earn his way back up to the top. We go to commercial and find out that in the July issue of WCW magazine, we'll find out what torture Lex Luger has in store. Uh, and we can get personal training from the booty babe. <laughs> when we come back, it's time for the Giant versus Scott Steiner. Scott makes his way to the ring to take on the Giant, and he has uh, taped his ribs from that knee earlier from Booker T. Yeah. And that's when I realized why they had that and why he sold it so much. It's to give, it's to protect Scott Steiner when he loses here to the Giant. I didn't. I don't get why does he have to be protected from the giant? Yeah, I don't know. Like the giant should be made to look like he can beat the shit out of anyone. And mm-hmm. Scott Steiner, they they feature him a little bit, but he's still a tag team guy. Yeah, it's fine if he loses to your world champion, who's a seven foot tall, four hundred pound guy. Yeah. Also, the fact that uh, Scott Steiner is getting like a title match. Yeah. So last week he faced Booker T yep. in a singles match and won. Yep. So by that reasoning, the next number one contender is Rick Steiner? <laughs> well, yeah, especially since the number one contender is supposed to be the U.S. champion. I've never seen Conan versus the Giant. <laughs> right. And hopefully never will. I you hate I don't hate Conan the way you hate Conan. <laughs> no, I do not. Like Maybe Conan. I will learn to not like Conan, but <laughs> I've only seen his like three matches that we've had so far, and they've been fine. Or you will you will give into the hate I, of Conan. <laughs> <laughs> Out comes the WCW heavyweight champion, the Giant. He now poses during his entrance while some green flame pyro hits, and it's pretty cool. Mm-hmm. Steiner immediately goes for a belly to back suplex, but that is not happening. <laughs> Giant just bellows as Scott looks fairly intimidated, and you're not used to seeing that from a big fucking muscle head like Scott Steiner. Giant slams Steiner's face into his knee as Bobby claims that there were more fights the Great American Bash than in the entire history of hockey. Wow. I bold. <laughs> there, there, so in the history of hockey, there hasn't been more than like 10 no, I guess Bobby's not a hockey fan. <laughs> The two lock up, and this time Steiner goes for a scoop slam, but that is also a seeming no-go until in the third attempt he gets the Giant up partway, but then crashes to the mat with the Giant on top of him. Nick Patrick goes to count since the Giant's now in a pinning position, but the Giant is pissed off at the temerity of uh, Scott Steiner, and he just gets up and attacks the tape ribs, as Bobby calls Scott an idiot for trying the slam with those injured ribs in the first place. That's a valid point. Giant rolls Steiner to the outside as Jimmy Hart tries to get a sneak attack in, but he can't quite do it before he's noticed by Nick Patrick. The Giant instead hands outside and beats up on Steiner on the floor for a while. We go to commercial, another mid-match commercial. They're right where we left him when we pick back up, but the Giant rolls Steiner into the ring. Giant stays in control with kicks and clubbing blows and a camel clutch. Tony tells us that the Giant is among the six names in the drawing later. Oh, there we go. Someone could drown or be buried in sand forever at the Bash of the Beach, says Bobby. <laughs> wow. Yeah, that took a dark turn. 
I mean, the giant was thrown off of the arena in Detroit and mm-hmm. survived. So, I mean, maybe someone could drown and then just be fine <laughs> later. I don't know. I was <laughs> I was trying to win the television title, but then I was buried forever <laughs> in the ocean. The exchange of the night comes on commentary when the giant stands on Steiner's ribs and Bobby says he's standing on the pancreas. Tony goes, is that where the pancreas is? And Bobby just goes, now. <laughs> <laughs> it's fantastic. And he does it right away. There's no pause. He does not need to think about that at all. He is so goddamn smart. <laughs> the giant hits a huge vertical suplex and a clothesline that sends Scott to the outside. He beats him up a bit before rolling him back into the ring. The giant gets a wooden chair from out under the ring, but as he eat, but as he re-enters the ring, Steiner uses the ropes to hit the giant in the dick. Oh, oh, okay. <laughs> giant gets a wooden chair from under the ring, but as he re-enters the ring, you know, the giant steps over the top rope. Mm-hmm. Steiner uses the opportunity to, like, lift the ropes up and hit the giant in the dick. Ah. Tony reminds us that at the end of the Nitro last week, the Giant was running wild on some baby faces, and Steiner made the save by hitting Giant with a wooden chair. Mm. So that's kind of why it's reintroduced here. I was about to say it. Also, the wooden chair just seems to come up in, like, Giant-related situations. It's very satisfying to see it, like, explode when someone hits him with it, you know? I like to think that it's like um, they think of the giant like a like a vampire and it has to be like a wooden chair in order for it to, <laughs> to vanquish him. I just think of uh, Bart hitting Homer with the wooden chair in the bathtub and then being like, <laughs> what? It's a pretty common stunt. What the hell is wrong with you? Jeez, sorry. It's a pretty standard stunt, Homer. Steiner locks in a headlock as the giant is on his knees, but giant gets to his feet and backs Steiner into the turnbuckles. An Irish whip sends Steiner into the opposite corner, and the giant hits a splash, but misses a second one as Tony begs Scott Steiner to use the chair on the giant. <laughs> Real babyface, Tony. <laughs> what what is the what's that theater reference? The gun that like, Chekhov's gun. Chekhov's yeah, that's like. <laughs> For Tony, that's his Chekhov's gun. Yes, yes, it's Giant's chair. (laughs) (laughs) I've seen the chair. Use the chair already. Scott hits a big suplex on the Giant, and the crowd pops huge for the the feat of strength that it took to hit that move. A fired-up Steiner goes for a pin but only gets a two-count as the Giant easily throws him off. Steiner stays in control with clotheslines as Bobby puts over how much Steiner wants to be a top guy, how much clearly, you know, he's putting himself in this position uh, trying to move from a tag guy to like a top baby face in the company. Mm-hmm. Steiner goes to hit the giant with a chair and Jimmy Hart stops him, which was kind of a dumb move because Nick Patrick was watching. And if Steiner had hit the giant, that would have been a DQ and his client would have retained his championship. <laughs> Unless he was worried that like that would end his career. He's the giant. <laughs> right. In fact, we see what happens a second later as Steiner throws Hart to the mat and Nick Patrick checks on him. So Scott uses the opportunity to hit the giant with the chair. Nick Patrick hears this and clearly turns to see Scott Steiner holding a now broken chair. (laughs) But Nick Patrick does nothing. However, it matters not as the giant no-sells the chair shot and chokeslams Scott Steiner for the victory. It did nothing but piss him off. (laughs) I just like the... It's like from... um Beavis at head when the, the light bulb's just flickering. Oh, yeah, he, yeah, he yeah. He sees broken chairs like, he could have used that on himself? <laughs> he, he just can't quite figure it out. And it's too late. During the choke slam, you can actually see a piece of very sharp-looking chair debris on the mat, and then all of a sudden it just disappears, and I think it's Jimmy Hart 
doing a good job looking out and just oh. being like, oh, shit, and, <laughs> right. and pulling it so Scott Steiner doesn't get murdered. <laughs> you don't want that in his pancreas. The Giant celebrates as we go to commercial right away, and we get another Glacier promo. When we come back, Gene is in the aisle, and he reiterates that this drawing is between the top six men in WCW based on win-loss record and, as I said earlier, other considerations. All right, ladies and gentlemen, we are back on WCW Monday Nitro. Get ready. I've been here at World Championship Wrestling for three years, and this is the biggest single announcement I could ever recall. This has been one of the most hectic days in my entire life. Of course, we came in from Baltimore, the Great American Bash last night. So much buzz about what's going on right now in this organization. I just came out of high-level meetings with WCW officials backstage. Earlier in the week, six of the top superstars, the criteria, of course, based on the win-loss record and also some other considerations, were taking the six top men in all of World Championship Wrestling to meet these outsiders that have come and challenged the great men and women in this organization. You know who the two men I'm talking about. Last night, they provoked Eric Bischoff, and then one of the most despicable acts I've ever eyewitnessed. I have always been a big advocate of these gentlemen going ahead and conducting their business, but keeping their hands, their mitts, off any of our broadcast people. That did not happen last night with these two outsiders. Earlier, the list compiled the six names were the great Hulk Hogan, the giant, a man we've just seen. Also, the nature boy, Ric Flair, Lex Luger, Sting, and last but not least, the macho man, Randy Savage. Those were the six names. They've just drawn the three that are gonna collide head on with these two outsiders and a yet to be named third man at the Bash at the Beach, July the 7th in Daytona Beach, Florida. Ladies and gentlemen, those three names are none other than Lex Luger, the Macho Man, Randy Savage, and Sting. Yes, it is final. Those are the three men that will represent WCW as they go head-to-head -head with three men from the outside that have challenged this great organization. That'll happen July the 7th in Daytona Beach, exclusively on pay-per-view. It's a big one, gentlemen, as I throw it back to Tony Schiavone and Bobby the Brain Heenan. Guys, I can't believe it. Neither can we. Ladies and gentlemen, you have heard the major announcement. Sting, the Macho Man, and Lex Luger will defend WCW at the Great American Bash Sunday, July 7th. Can you? This is incredible. Well, everybody's talking about the outsiders, the enemy. Remember, during the Gulf War, we were the outsiders in Kuwait, and we kicked their tails. Don't sell anybody short here. Now with Sting, the Macho Man, and Luger. Wow. See you next week, fans. The full list is Hogan, who gets booed by the crowd when he's mentioned, yeah. the Giant, who gets no reaction, Ric Flair, who gets cheers, Sting, Luger, and Savage, who get some cheers. Flair got the most, though, and right. Hogan noticeably got booed. Mm -hmm. Gene then announces that the three names that were just drawn in the back, we don't even see a drawing, which is kind of lame. He just tells us that the guys that were drawn were Luger, Flair, and Sting. We then go back to Tony and Bobby. Tony says, that's the team who will defend WCW, and then he gets the name of the pay-per-view wrong, saying that it will be coming up at the Great American Bash. Yeah, I th I feel like he's done that before. It is confusing of them to have two pay-per-views in a row with Bash in the name. Right. That's, that's stupid of them, <laughs> so I don't really blame Shivani. Yeah. 
Heenan then makes a very uncomfortable comparison, saying that during the Gulf War, we were the outsiders, but we kicked their tails, so don't <laughs> sell anybody short. Tony stares at him blankly and then just goes, see you next week. <laughs> and we are out. That was... As soon as he said... He go, he starts off with like you know in the Gulf War and I'm just like oh no yeah Bobby no I mean Tony could have done like the cut the camera <laughs> stop it so yeah like I said uh, I felt like it was a very strange episode of Nitro where everything felt like it was stuck in like second gear like it wasn't bad I wouldn't say that was a terrible episode and everything stunk but nothing was great and there were not a lot of uh, outstanding performers to me on the show. Overall, it was a pretty missable episode of Nitro, which is crazy considering all the things that happened last night and the fact that we are three weeks away from the biggest angle in wrestling history, mm-hmm. arguably. What did you think of the episode overall? Yeah, it was it was pretty forgettable. Um, I know this is starting. This was kind of starting the the who is the third man question which I think was probably one of the biggest angles in 1996 was sure. the whole the whole lead up. Oh, certainly in 96, yeah. Yeah, and uh and I I made a note earlier that I'd be interested to see of like at what point does Dave Meltzer spoil it because I'm just... I've actually well, I've got a note on that um so we'll we'll get there in our news section. Okay. Um yeah, other than that, you know, I, I just I don't really like the idea that they did a lottery for the three men. Sure. When it's like defending the honor of their company, they should be like, these are our top three guys. We selected them. Not not these were picked at random. That seems like it just sounds like you don't care as much. It seems like stupid that Hogan's not in there, given that in Kayfabe he's the greatest wrestler of all time who beats everybody. Mm-hmm. Uh so that's dumb. It also seems dumb in the like um not quite kayfabe sense of they're a business why wouldn't they put this is a huge match why wouldn't they put their biggest star in it right like that's not really kayfabe but that's also not necessarily like you could believe in kayfabe and be like well why wouldn't they want hulk in that match? it just it seems silly to me yeah i mean i would think i don't i would think that you would definitely want hogan and you definitely want the giant yeah yeah because now you've got luger who lost last night and you've got Savage, who lost tonight. Mm-hmm. It's just not not an impressive like coterie of baby faces right yeah. now. Yeah, and I would and I would kind of think that you would want Ric Flair in there because Ric Flair is like probably the biggest embodiment of WCW and WWE. That so I don't you know I don't know. It's just like also WCW has an obsession with lotteries, which I just can't understand. But sure. especially lotteries in which they call them lotteries, but don't really do a lottery or there was one for the battle bull that i think we saw i don't remember but it, it's just i don't give a you shit. know <laughs> that's kind of like what gene looked like when yeah. he did it. <laughs> you know that the one day when gene had like the two like local girls next oh to him, that's right yeah, and yeah it's yeah. like yeah this in this envelope is a completely random name that's what it was he was opening envelopes and we didn't see and he would just say the name on it and yeah it was almost certainly bullshit <laughs> that's right <laughs> Anyway, it was mo- like it was like a lottery that went out of its way to make sure you knew it was bullshit. <laughs> in our raw recap in King of the Ring quarterfinals, Steve Austin defeated Savio Vega, 
And in another quarterfinal match, Mark Marrow defeated Owen Hart. In other raw action, Triple H and Aldo Montoya went to a no contest when Jerry Lawler attacked Aldo Montoya before the match. Huh. Woo! And lastly, Jake the Snake Roberts defeated Intercontinental Champion Goldust in a non-title match. Mm. Also on that episode of Raw, Brian Pillman debuted, doing a one-minute contract signing where he acted like a babyface, but then later acted like a dick. <laughs> so, swerved you. Oh, Brian. Uh, Pillman is also, according to Dave Meltzer, been hospitalized all week as his uh, recently injured ankle has been infected, giving him a high fever. Oh. Yeah. Wow. In our ratings roundup from this week, Raw got a 2.3 and Nitro got a 3.4. Whoa! <laughs> it is the biggest margin of victory by WCW so far. I believe the biggest margin of victory for either company. Uh, they kicked their ass. So the success of Great American Bash, people call it, you know, the buy rate uh, wasn't huge. It wasn't a failure, but it wasn't a huge buy rate. Mm -hmm. But it sounds like at least people were the word had gotten out like this thing with mongo happened yeah uh, this thing with hall and nash and bischoff happened you know so it, it it does seem like there was great interest in this following that pay-per-view yeah and i don't know if you felt the same way but like at the end of the show i realized hall and nash didn't show up yeah isn't that strange um did it yeah yeah it's strange <laughs> <laughs> but <laughs> this is this was one of those nitros where I really I felt like that they earned a win because their pay per view was so good. Yes, I didn't love this nitro per se, but it sounds better than that raw. I haven't watched that raw, but it sounds better. Right, and the pay per view is so great. People should be watching nitro to see what's going to happen next. In our wrestling news segment, uh, so today you'll remember is June seventeenth. Mm -hmm. uh, three days from now, on June 20th, Titan Sports will officially file the lawsuit that's long been threatened, uh, the one that I had mentioned before that caused them to do that uh, denial that they work for the WWF on the oh, pay-per-view. Sure. So the lawsuit had been threatened. It's not actually filed until June 20th. They file a lawsuit and a request for a restraining order against Turner Broadcasting, World Championship Wrestling, and Eric Bischoff. There are four counts to the lawsuit. One, Unfair competition by trying to cause confusion in the marketplace. Mm -hmm. This mostly comes with having a Monday night show at the same time. Two, trademark infringement for Razor Ramon. They say that he is clearly portraying the character of Razor Ramon, which is the intellectual property and trademark of WWF, or Titan Sports, technically. Three is kind of similar, but it's unfair competition under specific Connecticut law. Um, I don't know why they went with that other than they operate out of Connecticut. Maybe that's where the stuff's registered. I don't know. But it has to do with the Razor stuff. Uh, the hotline spreading rumors that Titan was famous. Rumors on the WCW hotline that Titan is facing impending bankruptcy and the disparagement of Titan on the hotline and on WCW television. The fourth uh, pillar of this lawsuit is defamation and libel for Eric Bischoff and Steve Mongo McMichael claiming that the WWF made the power go out on the February 5th episode of Nitro. Of course, Bischoff apologized on the February 12th Nitro and said that he had just been joking, but Mean Gene and Mark Madden have both since on the hotline still implied that WWF did it. Yeah, here's the thing. So I, I mean, I guess I was vaguely aware that Mark Madden was working for them. But then when I was reading, because I was trying to find those gimmick names that they supposedly had for Hall and Ash. Right. And when they were talking about lawsuits and names and things like that, 
Mark Madden's name came up a lot as far as stuff that he was saying on the hotline and referring them to as the bad guy and Big Daddy Cool. Oh, sure. Um, okay. Which I guess he was doing a lot. And, and I, I just think that they didn't like really put much of a rein on what was going on in the hotline. So no one told him not to do that. Right. <laughs> but, uh, yeah, I <laughs> just, it's just kind of weird. It's like, yeah, Mark Madden, like just stirring up shit. WWF is seeking in the lawsuit that WCW be required to give up all profits from the result of the Nash Hall angle and a restraining order that requires a variety of things, including that WCW be prohibited from giving any indication that the WWF is affiliated with the angle in any way. Any use of the WWF's trademarks, uh, which includes referring to Scott Hall as the bad guy or uh, presenting him with a Hispanic accent or any of the visual indications of Razor, such as a toothpick. And that they give any indication, visual or otherwise, that Kevin Nash is Diesel. The restraining order also seeks to prevent WCW from presenting, uh, and this is a quote, quote, presenting Hall, Nash, or any other former Titan wrestler or personality without identifying that person by the character name they will use and explicitly stating which organization that person is under contract to. They would also require WCW to, quote, state three times during every Nitro broadcast <laughs> and on the preview for the July 7th Bash at the Bash at the Beach that, quote, Scott Hall and Kevin Nash are both under contract to WCW and all their actions since May 27th, 1996 have been at the direction of WCW. Any statements made by us or suggestions made by us that Hall and Nash were affiliated with the WWF were false and misleading. The WWF was not and has never been in any way affiliated with the portrayal of Hall and Nash since May 27th, 1996, and there will not be any matches between WWF wrestlers and WCW wrestlers on Nitro, on any of our shows, or on any of our pay-per-views. Any statement or suggestion to that effect by WCW and TBS personnel was false. If you wish to view WWF wrestlers, you should watch WWF's programs. What? <laughs> including Monday Night Raw, which airs on the USA Network Monday nights at 9 p.m. Eastern. The balls on these guys. They wanted that that read three times on every Nitro. They could never call a match. <laughs> I just The cojones yeah. on the fucking Vince McMahon and Jerry McDevitt, the, the chief lawyer for WWF, are insane. That's nuts. Yeah. I mean... Then you then you start to remember that like Vince McMahon is best friends with Donald Trump. Oh, cra and, oh let's and, not go down that road. And, but just the idea of like, well, we're 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 gonna negotiate. So I'll put this ridiculous. Oh, offer, sure, sure, sure. That sort of thing. Yes, I mean it is. It's it's laughable and it's very probable that they knew they would never get that. That's where they're starting from, mm -hmm. so that they try to get something out of it. You're right. And, and just to clarify what that first point was, the first pillar, as you said, yeah, um, were they objecting to the fact that they had a Monday night wrestling show? Yeah, they've they've said since the beginning that that is unfair competition. That they could have picked any other night, but that they picked the same time. Uh, to try to sow confusion in the marketplace that someone would just be trying to turn on wrestling and just see the wrestling and be like, oh, this is the thing I wanted to watch. Wow. That's just, yeah, that's too bad. That's just really too bad that they're trying to get some of your viewers in order to bolster their product, which is the same product yours is. It, it would just be like, you know, you know, Coke saying, 
you know what? It's really unfair that Pepsi also makes them in, in pop cans. Right. Because they yeah. look similar to ours. Well, a little more next week, we'll get into the variety of ways in which McMahon is a huge hypocrite in this lawsuit for things that he has very specifically done himself to his competition in the past. Yeah. Including including the WCW. Right. Oh, God, I just said the WCW, which I hate when people do. <laughs> Fuck. And, and not only that, but it's like, in, in a couple years, they'll almost flip seats in lawsuits yes. when D-Generation X pre- like is pretending to, to yeah. You know, Invade that's, Nitro. They, did, they, they just, I don't know if it's a thing where it's like they end up becoming bitter. Because I, I really don't know how this lawsuit turns out. Sure. Or if it's, as far as I know, maybe still in. Yeah, that's a good question. I don't, I ultimately don't know what happens with it either. I know it lasts forever. Um it it has a lot to do with the situation that will develop late next year with Bret Hart is this lawsuit so mm-hmm. but i ultimately i don't know what the resolution to this specific suit was that's a good question and i and i feel like it got hung up a lot because there's always a potential sale of WCW and i can imagine that would just kind of hang up any sort of potential lawsuit so but that well, that disclaimer is like that's something else we should, we, should, we should have like that that runs before our show just to make sure people are aware that this is not actually WCW Monday Nitro. <laughs> if you want to tune in, you can go to the WWE Network, which is only nine ninety nine. <laughs> it's just, by the way, we want free advertising on yeah, your show. Yeah. And what was it? Oh, and, and some of these other aspects were just like, by the way, we also want to make sure to ruin your storyline. Yeah. Cause if you're just explicitly saying, these are WCW wrestlers. They're yes. wrestling WCW matches. Everything they've done is things we've told them to do. Yeah. If you're saying that on air every single time, like anyone's tuning in. Yeah. And that's nothing to do with the fact that WWF wants reparations for these storylines that they think are like. Right. Ruining their product. They're, they're, they're not only wanting this like apology or in, and the reparations, but also we want to ruin your product and we want to advertise on your product. It's like I, I can only imagine how increasingly angry Bischoff got as he read that. Unless he thought it was like, that's brilliant. I should have done that myself. One last bit that I want to read here um, is from a legal brief filed by Jerry McDevitt, WWF lawyer. And it's kind of funny just because um, in retrospect, given how the NWO will sort of run roughshod over everyone, I just want to I just want to read this prediction from Jerry McDevitt here. Okay. The finishes of all matches will be controlled solely by the WCW, and in the end, the WCW wrestlers will no doubt trounce the WWF wrestlers, thereby demonstrating organizational superiority. The fact that Titan expects the WCW's supposed WWF wrestlers to perform poorly or lose matches contributes to the irreparable injury this case precisely to make the WWF services look bad in the eyes of consumers. Huh. So I think that's just kind of a funny footnote is that his chief concern was that Hall and Nash would come in and lose so much right. and get their butts it just, it just looks so terrible. <laughs> and they're like, oh, oh, that's what happens when you're WWF guy. Lawyers for both sides will appear before a judge next Monday, and we will cover that hearing in our next episode. In other wrestling news, uh, we mentioned uh, in our pay-per-view episode, but just to touch on again, Black Tiger, which is a masked Eddie Guerrero won New Japan Pro Wrestling's Best of the Super Juniors tournament on June 12th, defeating Jushin Liger in the finals. So presumably, Eddie will be uh, back and ready to perform in WCW before too long. 
Well, that's that is quite. What was it that Bish, um, that Tony was always saying the feather in the cap? Yes. <laughs> but that's like I mean he was winning in the mid nineties when there was like a lot of legitimate guys in the Super Junior. Oh yeah. And he beat Jushin Thunder Liger, who even now is prominent. Yeah, but he's like, in the Super Juniors Cup. Like, I mean, he's not going to win, but he's going to have some cool matches. But th- that was like in the prime, which you know, I I would right. I wouldn't be surprised if he won like almost every other nineties Super J Super Junior. Yeah. Oh, speaking of Super J Cup, because someone uh, Drucifer uh, did correct me after our last episode. The best of the Super Juniors and the Super J Cup are two different things. I use them interchangeably. I'm new to being a fan of New Japan and. I thought that I just thought that at some point the name of the tournament had changed, but no, those are two distinct uh, tournaments. Anyway, it is the end of an era in Memphis as the USWA has left the Mid South Coliseum, where they have kind of been forever. Memphis, you know, was the hottest territory in the country for quite a long time, mm-hmm. but the crowds have just finally dried up, uh, and the the card for their final show at the Mid South Coliseum included Flex Cavana, aka Dwayne Johnson. Oh. Uh, they are off to the Memphis flea market to continue, and it's just—it could be a good venue. I don't know. I've never been to the Memphis flea market. Oh, that's you, literally the place's name. Yes, <laughs> it's just when you say like we're now going to be at the Memphis flea market, that doesn't sound good. That that makes me want to say I should probably think of getting a different job. <laughs> All right. Uh, let's see. I've got two more bits of news. Uh, Vader and the Ultimate Warrior have been working 20-second squash matches on house shows because both are injured. Uh, Vader had been doing the job, but apparently he got unhappy with the attention that those squash matches had been getting back in Japan where he's much more valuable and protected. Well, it always comes back to the value in Japan. Yeah, so on the show back on June 9th, after a couple Warrior clotheslines, he just got out of the ring and walked to the back where he was apparently told that if he didn't walk back to the ring, he may as well keep walking all the way back home to Colorado. <laughs> uh, he did go back to the ring, but made sure that he took the loss by countout, and he's been doing that ever since. So Vader in the WWF already not working out. And lastly, uh, this is something that you alluded to earlier. This is Dave Meltzer's speculation on the Bash of the Beach. As for the identity of the third party in the uh, July 7th main event, it really is a secret. Lex Luger was the original plan, but I can't see that happening now because it would be almost an exact duplicate of the Steve McMichael angle, and it's too soon to do it again. I could still see it happening, but I don't think it will. Bischoff, Hall, and Nash were discussing names this past week with Mabel as the top candidate. Crush is also being considered for a brief period but then dismissed. All agreed that Bret Hart would be the perfect candidate, and WCW even floated the idea that it would be Hart uh, on its hotline over the weekend. Uh, in parent- he writes in parentheses, you'd think after the lawsuit they'd refrain from doing that crap. <laughs> but Hart has turned down every offer thrown his way. Supposedly Bischoff has in the past few days told Hall and Nash to trust him on this one, but admitted if they bring in someone other than Hart, and it isn't going to be Hart, that it will come across as a letdown. It also could be another WCW wrestler turning on the company. So the fact that they were discussing it, but then it sort of changed to him saying, trust me, mm-hmm. makes me think this has got to be around the time that he reached the deal with Hogan. Hogan actually calls him and says he wants it to be him. That's kind of how it goes down. But we'll cover that. I know that's a spoiler, but I'm going to cover more of the full story when we get up to Bash at the Beach. At some point, it's hard to really like talk about these storylines without right. like 
hey, you know what happened 21 years ago? Spoiler alert. I try to keep most kayfabe, but yeah. to, to cover some of these news items, you just, you gotta. You yeah. Gotta. I, and, I mean, at this time, I know I was definitely watching Nitro. I really wasn't into, like, the dirt sheets or anything sure, online yeah. like that. But I do remember that there was, like, this thought that Bret Hart might, because he, especially just from a person that was, that, that doesn't really know what's going on backstage. He just hasn't been on TV a long time. Right. So you kind of think that he might be available to do that. Um, but that's something I think once we get to Bash of the Beach, we can, we can discuss. Because I'm genuinely interested in the names that are floated around and especially um, how early it's spoiled. Because I feel like it went over really well because it wasn't spoiled. But I that that could just be me, so... All right. Well, all that being said, there's only two more things to talk about. Tim? First, Dave, who was your MVP of the show? I would have to give my MVP to Rey Mysterio Jr. Just because, it, especially, you know, they, him and Dean had a really good match the night before. And this seems like just a way to kind of like add interest to Nitro and not necessarily do anything to bolster both of them. Um but for the fact that he just let Dean just throw him around and just brutally slam him for 10 minutes, um, I just thought it was... It just showed more of the capabilities of Rey Mysterio. Rey Mysterio um, and, and again, you know, there's still indecisiveness. But, like, from the first two matches I've seen of his, they've been really awesome. And also, by the way, for a brand-new wrestler, he already probably has the best theme music. Mm, sure. I love that. I love that, that like kind of ominous like epic thoughts uh theme song that he has my mvp for the show is going to be the giant who i thought had by far the best promo he's had since coming into the company uh his match was not bad either there were some great spots with him and steiner he made steiner look impressive with that suplex uh, but he ultimately looked like a huge badass when he gets that chair hit on him and just Mm. says who gives a fuck and chokeslam Steiner and gets the win. Yeah. Steiner looked great. Or excuse me. Uh, Steiner looked good, but the giant looked great. Uh, he really feels at, like he's starting to come into his own as the heavyweight champion. Uh, for my match of the night or segment of the night, I am going to right now give it to Malenko and uh, Mysterio. There really was no other match or segment that came close on the show. It was a show of... Uh, average matches and below average segments so mm-hmm. that one stood out as at least being good okay well since you went with that i just i would i'm going to go with arn anderson and ben versus american males um in particular because the fans are so into it it just made a much a very much more exciting match um and like i mentioned before i like the way that they are able to convey benoit with those up close angles of him just brutalizing people. And I, I just really like the ending, the unnecessary cheating and just for once leverage. That's actually leverage for a pinfall. <laughs> I just have to appreciate that. And, uh, and I'm just hoping against hope that we're really done with John Tenta versus big Bubba. But I feel like we're going to get another one, of those, another one at the bash of the beach. I can't remember if we do, but I well, got a bad feeling about it. <laughs> We'll see as we move into the next few weeks. In the meantime, you can follow us on Twitter at 20 Years of Nitro. You can check us out on Facebook, facebook.com slash 20 Years of Nitro. You can email the show at 20 Years of Nitro at gmail.com. Hey, you can follow Dave on Twitter at Dave Amantorp. And of course, you can stay tuned 
to your iTunes podcast app so that you're ready next time we journey right here where the big boys play 20 years of Nitro. If you shut up for a second, please, there's something I'd like to say. I know everybody came to see the Disco Inferno dance. Wrong again. <laughs>